Merry Housewatch. Ho, ho, ho. No doubt, if you try some of these recipes, I'll be seeing you very soon. I'm Ben McKenzie. Happy Hogswatch from Pratchett, the monthly Terry Pratchett book club podcast. Each month we discuss one of Terry Pratchett's books with a special guest. And for our 50th episode, we read Nanny Og's cookbook, a book that puts the na in banana na na And to keep the celebration going, we decided to invite some of our old friends and fellow Pratchett podcasters to join in what we're calling the Ogswatch Feast. A name that you just came up with, Liz, just before we started this episode, and I am so excited that you did. Thank you so much for doing that. I mean, I guess feast might be a bit generous, so I guess there is a lot of food involved. But um, there is. based on the responses we got, it's a big cross-section of um, responses and um, repeatability, should we say, about um, some yeah. of the dishes prepared. Yeah, that's true. I feel like, actually, though, the hit rate is pretty good. Hmm. So this is kind of a semi-sequel to our previous episode, our 50th one, where we had Cal Wilson, our very first guest, back on, and we just cooked one of the recipes each. And I think our hit rate there was two out of three, basically. The sticky toffee rat on a stick was <laughs> was not great. We I don't know if we've quite equaled that here, but I think it's close. I think it probably is about two-thirds success. Well, I, I should have run the numbers before we started. Yeah, we can do some stats later, I think. But um, mm, yeah, okay. yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, Cal's toffee rat on a stick, it might have tasted horrible, but it looked amazing. Oh, yeah. It was definitely a success on the that looks like a toffee rat on a stick. <laughs> yeah, it was great. That was great. But yeah, we thought it'd be fun to get some other people involved and do something a little bit special for Hogswatch to say thank you to all of you for supporting us over 50 episodes. And... You know, to sort of foster a bit of community spirit amongst the Pratchett fans out there, get everybody hyped up and excited. There are a few people we asked who couldn't make it, and we want to say hello to them. Thank you for the attempt. Don't worry, we'll get you back another time. But we really appreciate the time that you did put in, even if we didn't get to feature you in this episode. Uh, You know who you are, and we love you. Happy Hogswatch. And you, listener, of course, we love you too. Happy Hogswatch to you. And we're recording this on a very special day. It's not... It's not yet Hogswatch, Liz, but it is a special day in the Australian Christmas calendar. <laughs> um, when did you first experience the joys of Gravy Day? I feel like for me, Gravy Day has crept up on me over the last five years because like five years ago, if you'd mentioned it to me, I'd have been like, what is that? I don't understand. And then all of a sudden, like every year, I think triples the amount of comments that come through on Twitter or how much it dominates my news feed. So you, I'd like. I think the first year I saw a few jokes, and I'm like, oh yeah, well I guess those people are all at a party together, and it is something to do with something that happened. I think it's only like last year or the year before that I was like, I'm going to sit down and listen to this this song because it comes back to a song by a famous musician and also the name of um, every third person in Australia, Paul Kelly. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, it is a very good song, though. Yeah, and I remember listening to it. I was like, oh, this is. 
Ooh, this gets you somewhere really visceral, which is like I guess literal and also yeah. figurative because it's just very well written, very emotional, hard hit. Even though it's like how how long ago was it written? Like decades? Oh, it's like I think it's at least twenty years. But it's such a iconic Australian Christmas song, and if from memory, I think it was for an album of Christmas songs. Some of them were covers, and some of them were new songs. And he just sort of wrote it in an afternoon. So I've got this idea for this song. What do you reckon? And they're like, yeah, put that on there. <laughs> and it just sort of came out of nowhere. The premise of the song is a person writing a letter home to their family to say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be there at Christmas because I'm in prison. Here's the gravy recipe because this is what I used to do when we were doing Christmas. And someone's mm-hmm. going to need to make it. And it's incredibly sad and heartfelt. Yeah. And it kind of establishes this sort of cinematic universe of Paul Kelly songs because I think he's on record, but certainly, if not, people have speculated that he's the same character in one of Paul Kelly's other famous songs, uh, Dumb Things. Oh, is that why he's in jail? Yeah, because he's done the dumb thing. Because he he doesn't say what he did, but he does say, I screwed up this time. I think it's Mm. kind of the Australian equivalent of Whamageddon is trying to avoid listening to it too many times. I am still in the game for Whamageddon, by the way, if we're mentioning things. And I've been listening to the radio. like It's like real Russian roulette. When when you put on the radio when you're driving somewhere and you're like, it's going to be this drive, isn't it? I feel like in Australia we are playing at least on medium difficulty, if not easy mode, because it's just never been as popular a song here, so it doesn't get played as often. But I, I, have, I have gone out the last couple of years. This year I haven't been out of the house much <laughs> during the Christmas season, although I have been in a shopping centre where they were playing Christmas songs, so or at least a supermarket. So, Do you have Bluetooth speakers? I do. do you, what's your address? No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to drive past oh, your house. No, and no, I see what you're doing there. <laughs> drive by whammed. Can you imagine? Oh, no. if you're just like living your life peacefully oh. and all of a sudden the song just comes through your speaker. That's not, that's not okay. Come on. Next year. Be, oh, be ready. Mm. Okay, that's it. I'll change the Bluetooth. Speakers. You're going to go back to plug-in speakers or <laughs> Uh, if you ever visit my house now and you say, oh, I'll just play this podcast. I'll just, can I put it on your speaker? I'll be like, no, I know what you, this is a long game that you're mm-hmm. planning. I should have told to you. Uh, all right. <laughs> well, look, um, <laughs> uh, well, look, that's, that's our tradition. There's no gravy recipe in Nanny Og's cookbook. The closest is Wow Wow Sauce. Um, yes, which you did make. Mm-hmm. Um, Someone else made one too, actually, it oh, seems. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's true. Uh, we will be featuring another um, foray into the world of Wawa Sauce a little bit later on. Uh, should we have a surprising start to the episode? or? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, I thought it'd be easiest for us to discuss these recipes in the order in which they appear in the book, because that, as Nanny explains, takes us through a starter to a main meal to dessert. And that means starting with the earliest one in the book that somebody cooked, which is the one we made <laughs> for Hogswatch. And can I just say on the record that Ben Ben sold this as, oh, it's probably going to be like a delicious cocktail. Like, this is probably going to be a really nice one to make. Um, so, okay. yeah, I reckon it's going to be really good. Um, I, and I, I was like, okay, cool. We're going to have, like, catch up for the first time in ages. We're going to have cocktails. It's going to be Terry Pratchett theme. It's going to be great. And then we ended up with, what did we end up making? We ended up with, we, we ended up with banana nar soup surprise. <laughs> yes, so... <laughs> Oh, look, it wasn't... In fact, you know what? We'll talk a little bit more about this, but why don't I just play the audio of when we tasted it? You've been warned. We're going to try this so that you don't have to. Or if Um, it's great, um, then you get to. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. I had a really big lunch, so I... I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, all right. Let's, all right. let's just okay. let's get a spoonful. All right. Oh, it's, it's kind of... It's holding its shape. Let it cool a little bit. It's a bit <laughs> weird. Okay, hang on. I mean, it's not good. It just tastes like all of the ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not... I mean, yeah, it's not... The banana and the... I think it's the banana and the parsley that are just sort of going, no, There's just a, why would you a, combine these? There's just a watery these? edge of, of stop eating me that mm. comes through with each mouthful. Mm-hmm. Like a mental oh. barrier to... I mean, I feel like it's the sort of thing that when you eat it, you expect it's got some medicinal value because why else would you eat such a thing? Oh, but but no, because it's also got brown sugar in it. Well, sugar, brown sugar could be medicinal. And what if I like? Push, okay, look, what maybe the banana. Oh my god, it won't go down. <laughs> okay. All right, let's... maybe the banana is here so that you can, it, when you get desperate, you can eat the banana instead of the soup. Um, Actually, when you're eating it with banana, it's not so bad. Eating with oh, you eating with a bit of banana. Oh, okay. I'll try that. I'll try. I'll try anything once. I actually improved it a lot. Hmm. You're right. I mean, it's still... It's because it's hiding. It's still weird. The... Um, we did... So you looked at... What was it in the recipe? Chervil? Chervil and added parsley. That may have been where... I mean, if that's not the only place we went wrong. I reckon that whole recipe was... The, the cooking it was the mistake. <laughs> All right. Look, I think that's enough. I think we've done what we set out to do. <laughs> however ill-advised. I feel like... You know when people go... Like, they do things like, I'm going to get to the North Pole, or I'm going to... Well, they just look through the Guinness Book of Records and they're like, no one's done this, I'll do that. Yeah. And then they do the attempt and they realise why no one has done that. Because it's a terrible idea. Don't, don't cook this and eat it, is my advice. I mean, it's not, it's not horrendous. I have some great news, It's just really not good. Yeah, what's that? It's been night tonight. Oh, that's, yeah, that is good news. (laughs) Anyway, um, happy Hogs Watch, everyone. Okay, I think that's great. That'll do nicely. I'm not letting you take any of this home to Ash. <laughs> no, good lord. No, we're, we're putting this in the bin. I mean, we're quite reserved, really. I mean, you couldn't hear what my taste buds were saying because they were too busy dying. <laughs> we were on camera at the time. So we did this for the Australian Discworld convention. They had a uh, a video meetup for Hogswatch. And hello to Steve and all the organisers and attendees, if you're listening. But yeah, we... <laughs> I think that might have tempered my response a little bit. Also, I was in your kitchen. I didn't want to spit it across the the floor. It was gross, but it wasn't... No, it I wasn't, like, nauseous. horrifying. It was just... It was a little bit wrong. But, I mean, I guess one question I have is, why did I eat so much of it? Because I guess I have completionist tendencies. I was like, oh, well, I, I'm, this is what I've made for dinner, I suppose. So I, mm. And I just ate nearly all of it. And I was like, hang on, this is... I don't have to do this. No one's making me. I mean, we got a certificate, and that was... I guess it was worth it for that. Yeah, we do. Turns out I'm willing to do quite a lot for a certificate. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Steve, for the certificate. (laughs) I don't know what else we can say about it. If you're a subscriber and you want to see the video, we have sent you a link. We're making that only available to subscribers. We want it to feel a bit special. I've got something to say about it. Um, Don't Mm. make it. (laughs) It's good advice. Yeah. Yeah. Read the recipe. Uh, have uh, Have a bit of a laugh. Don't make it. Yeah. Look. I have a premonition that's not the last time we'll hear that advice <laughs> during the course of this episode. The less said about banana soup surprise, 
the better. I feel like I finally mastered the art of saying it because there's different stress on the two na syllables in banana. Figuring out which one to say for the third one's quite difficult. So I've ended up with banana, which just makes me want to sing the song from the Muppets, uh, which oh, is now in your head, listener, and I'm very sorry. Um, I thought you were going to say the, um, is it, is it an ad for bananas? Like actually, like from the 90s, like those make your body sing sort of songs oh, that was yeah. advertising bananas. And it wouldn't go banana-na-na-na. You know. Yeah, and there's that thing where you, you sing somebody's name and you add all the syllables and one of them's... Oh, the cheerleading thing. Yeah, the cheerle- it's a cheerleading thing, isn't it? Yeah. The Fofana yeah. banana. That's the one. I don't actually um, understand the structure of those. I've never been able to do it and I don't care to learn. Okay, well then I won't, <laughs> I won't bring <laughs> it up anymore. Um, I do I do want to cop to the fact, as you alluded, like I said, it might be quite nice. I really did just skim that recipe before we made it, and I should have read it in more detail. Well, I read it um, in detail, and I thought maybe it was going to be one of those things, like, unexpectedly nice, like, you know, chili chalk, mm. that kind of thing. I thought, oh, maybe yeah. they would come together, but they did not. I thought it would be more creamy, but we kind of had these tiny little lumps of banana in it. They were very small lumps of banana. I thought they were the best bits because they just tasted like banana on the inside. They were unsullied by the rest of the ingredients. Oh, dear. I did also, I, I tried to do some more reading up on chervil because I hadn't heard of it before, which is the herb that you're supposed to add into mm. it. And it, it is like parsley. In fact, it's called French parsley in some places. But what I was reading about it was that even though, yeah, everywhere I saw recommended that you could substitute parsley, it's supposed to have a much more subtle taste. And I mm. wonder if... That is partly where... Partly where... I mean, I, no, we went, went wrong. wrong by cooking it, but I mean... No, I think you're right. It would have been better if it tasted less like parsley. <laughs> yes. Uh, look, and on that note, perhaps we should introduce the first of our many guests. This is so... I mean, this is such a fun way to get some of our old guests back. Now, we, did, we couldn't organise to chat to all of them. In fact, we only got to chat to a few people, uh, but they these champions did their own thing. They they cooked the food, they tried it, they recorded their own responses. And as we go through the book, the first one that we come to, from all the way back near the beginning, from our Weird Sisters episode, I think it's like episode number five of mm. Pratt Chat. That's like four years ago, Liz. This is ancient history. But we'd like to welcome back Ellie Squire, who cooked Celery Astonishment. Hello, this is Ellie Squire, sometimes better known as Clara Cupcakes. I'm super excited to be on Pratt Chat today making Nanny Og's Celery Astonishment from her cookbook. Honestly, I'm mostly excited to make this one because of the name, Celery Astonishment. I mean, that's already an exceptional name for a dish. So the main ingredients for Celery Astonishment are, of course, celery. You need one large head of celery. You need... 300 grams of cooked rice, one green pepper, seeded and chopped, which I assume is a capsicum. I'm pretty sure they call them peppers in the UK. But anyway, I've bought a green capsicum. Three tomatoes chopped, 60 grams of grated parmesan cheese, one teaspoon of lemon juice, one tablespoon of chopped tarragon and egg, and of course, salt and pepper. So basically, my understanding of this is that it's kind of like a vegetarian roast of sorts. You stuff the celery with the rice mixture and then you bake it for two hours, which seems crazy to me. It's probably at this point that I should point out that I incredibly super, just a lot hate 
cooked celery. It's probably one of my least favorite things, which is kind of also why I picked this because I'm very into trying foods that I don't like in the hopes of finding a way to eat it that I do like. So maybe this will be the way that I enjoy hot celery. Cold celery, delicious, put some peanut butter in it, yum, dip it in hummus. Hot celery is just devil's food. But look, if anybody can make hot, soggy celery work, it is Nanny Og. We all know that about her. Now, I will say on this, there's a couple of things that I've done that are probably not Nanny Og approved. Actually, no, that's not true. They would be Nanny Og approved, but they're not the most period accurate or recipe accurate. The first is that I've used a rice cooker to cook the rice, which honestly feels a lot like wizard technology. But then again, it's also very practical and the far superior way to cook rice as opposed to just doing it in a pot. So I think that it would be witch approved on that respect. I think that rice cookers are a really great middle ground between witches and wizards, which, you know, in this day and age where everyone's got differences and everyone's kind of fighting and there's a lot of, you know, division between people. It's really nice to think that perhaps people could come together or there's something as wonderful as a rice cooker. The second thing that I've done that is maybe just not recipe accurate is I could not for the life of me find tarragon. I think tarragon went out of fashion in the 70s and now it's a little bit harder to find. I went to three different supermarkets, couldn't find it. So I've replaced it with dill, which I know is not quite the same flavor, but it's kind of strong. It's kind of spicy. And also I really like dill. So we're just going to go with that. Yes, just using what I have around me. Very witchy. I just realized that I called dill spicy, which is just probably the whitest thing I've ever said. Uh, I meant flavorsome instead of spicy. Can you imagine someone finding dill too spicy? I mean, it's the main herb in Scandinavia and they are some of the whitest people on the planet. Me being like, oh, this dill is too spicy. That's a spicy dill. Oh my God. Okay. So I have all my ingredients out. Um, I've got little bowls, which I've just clanked for your um, oral pleasure. Uh, So I'm going to cut everything up, get everything ready, and then mix it all together in a bowl and then stuff the celery, which seems pretty straightforward to me. Yeah, sure. So the other thing that I'm kind of realizing while I'm sitting here just chopping up some tomatoes Um, I sharpened my knives yesterday, which feels really good, but that's not the thing I realized. Uh, the other thing I realized is that I also really hate cooked capsicum. I think it makes everything in a dish taste like capsicum if you put too much cooked capsicum in. So not only does this dish have cooked celery, which is, you know, sort of in my maybe top 10 least favorite foods, it also has cooked capsicum which is also in that top 10. So I've really kind of done myself a bit of a disservice by picking this recipe. But again, I I think there's a lot of merit in, in trying foods and trying things that are maybe not something that you would eat normally and just seeing if maybe it's something that you would like. I'm not a picky eater. I should say at this point that I'm not a picky eater. There's a lot of things that I do eat. I eat most things. Uh, And I'm not allergic to anything, thank goodness. But 
I don't eat a few big food groups, so I don't eat eggs on their own. Uh, I'll eat them in things, but sometimes even like a sponge cake is too much for me because I can taste that egginess. Uh, the other big one that I don't eat is seafood at all, really, partially because I don't like the taste and the the texture. I think also ethically it's not the greatest thing to be eating, so it's kind of helpful that I don't like it. Anyway, back to celery astonishment. It's probably going to be delicious. What I am super excited about is kind of like, it's not vegan, it's vegetarian because it's got egg and cheese, but this might be a really good meat-free dish. I, like I've, I've, I'm not vegetarian, you know, I eat meat from time to time, but I don't eat it at home, really. This celery astonishment might be a really delicious meat alternative. You know, maybe it'll taste like a roast. Maybe baked celery is the secret vegetarian vegan food that we've all been waiting for. And Nanny Og has been holding this secret the whole time. All right, so I'm just now finally chopping up the green capsicum, which I'm hoping is a green pepper. Here's some crunchy capsicum chopping ASMR for you. Mmm, relaxing. My hope is that if I chop it finer, I won't get a big chunk of it. Again, that's another one of my weird little food rules is if you are going to put capsicum in something, chop it up fine so I don't have to like bite into a whole piece of cooked capsicum. So hopefully this will work and disperse the flavor evenly as opposed to just kind of pockets of capsicum fury. So I've got the very finely chopped capsicum in. I've got the diced tomato, which is in bigger pieces than the capsicum which I think shouldn't be a problem. Uh, you know, we're going for a few different textures. So now I've just got to grate some cheese, slice up the tarragon dill, and then I think I'm on to adding the rice and the egg to kind of bind it all together. Yeah, this sounds, this sounds doable. We're doing it. So I'm actually kind of excited to be using dill instead of tarragon. Um, I actually do really love tarragon. My mum used to make this like tarragon chicken when I was younger. Um, it was like a phyllo chicken parcel with like a tarragon butter that I really loved. Um, so I actually think tarragon is an underrated herb, which is why I'm sad I don't have it. But also I'm happy that I have dill because I also think that dill is an underrated herb. Um, it's the most perfect thing to go in potato salad. You can put it in anything and it tastes a bit fresher. Well, maybe not anything. I wouldn't put it in your cereal or perhaps not on ice cream. Maybe you could make like a dill ice cream though and that would be delicious. Uh, all right, so that's the, the tarragon dill in. And then I guess I'm going to grate my parmesan, king of cheeses. It's actually very convenient that this recipe contains parmesan because it's the one cheese that I always have in my house, like over cheddar, over any of the things. Because one of my favorite things is pasta. And I eat pasta, I would say, probably every couple of days. I eat it for breakfast. I eat it for lunch. I eat it for dinner. Sometimes in the morning, I just want some aglio olio pasta. Like, I just want some delicious angel hair pasta with garlic and chili and olive oil and a bit of fresh parsley and then just a, a good amount of parmesan. Those days when I have that, I feel like my days start off a little bit better. Like I feel like I've got 
a lot of energy and I feel really good. So I always, 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 always have Parmesan in the house without question. It says to add 60 grams of Parmesan, which honestly is not really enough Parmesan to do anything with. So I'm just going to add whatever's left of this little knob that I have. It's probably more like 100 grams, but again, I feel like Nanny Og would approve of extra delicious cheese. And then of course with Parmesan, it gets to the point where you kind of just have this little tiny nub of Parmesan left and that is that you can't really grate and that is a little chef's treat. That's for me. I'm going to eat it. Yum, yum, yum. Okay, so I've added my rice into the, the mixture with the cheese and the dill and the tomato and the capsicum and gang it's a lot of mixture like I don't really know how I'm gonna stuff this inside a celery like you know celeries famously don't have butts like a chicken it's just a bunch of stalks and just let me check the recipe but I'm pretty sure it just says stuff with mixture and it doesn't give you it just says stuff the mixture into the celery I feel, I feel like that scene in Schitt's Creek where they're trying to work out how to fold cheese into something and they just keep saying fold the cheese to each other. I'm just sitting here saying, well, you just stuffed the celery to myself over and over again. I mean, it says that you tie it up with string and wrap it in foil, which is all fine and good, but how do I get the filling in there in the first place? So I've done a couple of things with the celery. I took the leaves off at the top because that seemed sensible. And then I took out some of the innermost little baby stalks to give myself a bit more stuffing room. But fam, there is just an inordinate amount of stuffing here. I just keep staring at the celery and then the filling and then back at the celery, I actually don't know how it's going to fit. Nanny Og, what kind of spatial vortex spell have you done to be able to fit this much rice into a non-existent celery bud? Um, I'm actually finding stuff in this celery oddly upsetting. Like, I guess it's kind of going in, but then it's falling out the sides because celery has holes I was trying to just use a spoon but now I'm using my hands to kind of just shove this rice and tomato mixture into any way <laughs> that it will fit I aligned the roasting tray with alfoil which is what it said to do and I'm glad I did because there's just like rice it's just going everywhere this went from like something that seemed really sensible and exciting to like some sort of weird nightmare. This is a weird nightmare. Okay, so astonishingly, I have managed to get all the stuffing into this celery. Maybe that's why it's called celery astonishment, because you can actually pack so much rice and tomato into a, into a head of celery. Um... I don't like it, but I guess we'll just see how it goes. 
Uh, so I've double wrapped it in alfoil again because the initial layer that I had wasn't really enough and I can already see some holes poking through. It did say to truss it up with string, but I don't want to pick this up to truss up with string because you're supposed to do it before the outfoil. I don't want to pick it up. So I think I'm just going to truss it with the alfoil on and hope that that works fine. I just want to say at this point that I'm a really good cook. I make delicious food all the time. I've made croissants from scratch. You know, I, I spent all of lockdown making delicious, amazing meals for my housemates because that's what brought me joy. So this celery astonishment really has me stumped and really is making me feel like I don't know anything about cooking. The celery astonishment is now in the oven. I am going to set a timer for two hours and we'll see what comes out after that. God, I hope it's at least edible. Okay, so it's been two hours. I will say that there is no delicious smell in my kitchen. Like, you know, when you're cooking like a really beautiful cake or a roast or something and the smell just kind of overwhelms the space that's not happening here i don't really know what i'm smelling maybe when i open the oven it still just kind of doesn't smell like anything um okay well there's been a little bit of leakage in the foil and i can see that some of the juice has come out the bottom it's kind of burnt onto my pan which is fine i can scrub that off non-stick life um i'm gonna leave it to get cool for maybe 10-15 minutes and then i will plate myself some up yay okay so i have some thoughts on unwrapping it it is so wet when I took it out of the roasting pan. Like there's just a lot of liquid coming out of it. Just gonna open it up. Oh, gang. It does not look good. Oh my God. Uh, oh. Okay, I have a plate. I'm gonna try it. It does not smell good. It smells like sour and like it smells like celery. Okay, a couple of thoughts. The rice is okay, but there's only so much I feel that you can stuff up rice. Like it just tastes like rice with tomato in it. And then as I predicted, too much capsicum. The celery is not even cooked, really. I mean, it's it's cooked, but it's, like, still pretty solid. And, like, the texture is so unappealing and the taste is everything that I hate about warm celery. I don't really know how I'd fix this dish because I don't know how you'd fix the fact that the celery, which is the main part of celery astonishment, is disgusting. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm so shocked that this is so bad.
I'm astonished. I'm astonished at how bad it is. Wow. Thank you so much for taking this journey with me into celery astonishment, which should really become celery abolishment. Nobody ever make this dish. Uh, first of all, uh, how dare she come up with such a good pun? I'd like to start with. Um, so good. Oh. And also, yeah. Ellie, if you're listening, I'm sorry that this happened to you because of us, but we appreciate everything you did. Well, we, we, I don't think we can take too much of the blame. We, we gave the whole book. True. Which wasn't anything. If it's called astonishment or, you know, it could go either way. It could be surprisingly great or horrifying. Mm. But I appreciate Ellie's pioneering attitude of, I don't think I like this, but I'm going to give it a go. And sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it does. I mean, I feel like this is not the first time we're going to um, be hearing about a lack of delicious smells <laughs> as well. So. <laughs> oh, no. That's a very kind way to put it. But yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ellie. Um, if you would like to hear more of Ellie, and why wouldn't you? She was hilarious. She is a performer, comedian, a burlesque artist, and she'll be doing a show in the Comedy Festival in 2022 in Melbourne, which I'm looking forward to. She's doing a cowboy-themed show called Ye Howdy from April 11 to 24 at the Butterfly Club. And having seen some of her other shows, I cannot wait. I think that's going to be a hoot. A hoot <laughs> nanny, mm. perhaps even. Um, anyway, thank you, Ellie. That was That was so good. All right, so on to our next guest, um, we have Liam Peeper, who is actually a guest of Hogwatch Future, um, mm. which is not nearly as frightening as the, the usual deal. He's taken on, actually, two recipes which are recommended to go together. That is Slumpy and Clooty Dumplings with mixed results. There's a bit of adaptation. There's a bit of history. So it's like looking into the past, looking into the future. But, I mean, have a listen and see what you think. When I was given the chance to look through the Nanny Og recipe book, a lot of the things were lost on me. But Slumpy jumped out at me hmm. purely because I know my way around Ankhmore pork and it was a cuisine that uh, is very familiar to me. You know, my heritage is partially Irish mm-hmm. and broadly British. So there were elements of that that drew it to me. I mean, it, this is almost an aggressively United Kingdom British sort of dish based on the ingredients. But um, I was kind of horrified slash pleased to find that this just seems like something I would cook <laughs> without a recipe. Yes. Well, you know, Discworld is, like, it's, it is, it's a satirical fantasy universe, you know, which playfully parodies real-world foibles and absurdities, right? Mm. So in this case, Nanny Og's recipes are parodying British cuisine. But British cuisine is in itself at least in the era that Sir Teza grew up in, sort of a parody of cuisine. So the recipes in this book, particularly these more English recipes, British recipes, uh, cooking them sort of creates this irony feedback loop that is so absurd that it's beyond parody. It's like a cooking from this book is, is sort of it's a cursed idea. It's like this Lovecraftian nightmare that bends time and space into new and absurd and impossible shapes, which it could be. I'm pretty sure me cooking this slumpy deranged the universe, which is why we have Boris Johnson as the leader of the UK at this point. <laughs> All of which is to say, this food is very familiar to me, and I do cook things just like it at home. And when I got into the weeds of the recipe, you know, like with all of Discworld stuff, it's fun to look at the real world antecedent and exactly how he's drawn out the absolute silliness of it. Hmm. So did you also make the, the recommended accompaniment of Clutie dumplings or did you decide to go with Slumpy as is? I, I am a Clutie and Slumpy completist. I, I, <laughs> I did them both. I'm not a monster. 
Uh, Do you eat them both as well? Because <laughs> it, it sounds like that would fill you up for days. I, I am st- yeah, I'm still full for days, uh, and not in a pleasant way. I need a doctor uh, if, you, if you have one to hand. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it was a delightfully nasty experience. I wouldn't recommend a diet based on the cookbook. Uh, but I, Are you sure? Or? <laughs> well, I did, I did have a lovely time cooking it, but I have some notes, you know. I, I have ways that I could improve on it. I trained as a, as a cook many years ago. Do you want to get in the weeds of exactly what these things are? Absolutely. Like I, I want to know, first of all, what your cooking process was like. Were there any surprises along the way? And then about your changes or like any anything that stood out to you about these recipes, good or bad? Okay. The good is the rec- they're pretty foolproof. Like the recipe is very simple. It's something you might find actually in a like a Jamie Oliver cookbook. You know, the like the introductory book to British cuisine. Like I'm going to teach you how to make something that's almost nice. It's, <laughs> it's just very easily done. You basically put everything in a pot, you cook it, and by the end of it you have something edible. The problem is... The identity politics of these dishes are all over the shop. So Mm. when I was reading this recipe, I sort of knew exactly what it was. So I went back to my old cookbook since I did my research. So Slumpy, it's a round world analog, is a traditional scouser stew. So (laughs) it's from sort of the Liverpool area. And inland, it's known as the Lancashire Hot Pot. And it's one of those sort of classic working class dishes like Bologna ragu in Italy or Cocovin in France sort of uses whatever scraps are abundant in a region and just makes mm. what you can. I don't know what the Hong Kongese equivalent would be. What is that uh, that horrifying breakfast porridge that people from... That's actually very special. You mean congee or juk? Oh, juk. Yes, juk. Uh, yeah. Juk actually has its origins in... It's defined as a gruel, which... Um, <laughs> Thank you, Charles Dickens, for making that less appealing. Then, actually, the reality is quite nice, I think. But I guess maybe there are parallels between slumpy and congee, which is a rice porridge where you add a lot of water to rice and then you add whatever else ingredients might take your fancy or in the kitchen or the pantry. So it's kind of an odds and ends dish that fills you up, like sticks to the insides of your ribs kind of thing. So would you say that's what this is? Absolutely. You start with a base of filling, nourishing uh, goo, and mm-hmm. then from there you can add small regional and familial flourishes. You know, it's one of those dishes that nobody makes quite the same way. So, mm. uh, yes, juk would be a, like a, a, a similar sort of cultural echo, I suppose. It wouldn't occur to me to add like 470 mils of ale to it, though. Oh. That seemed like a bit of an odd choice. Well, that's a particularly European flourish. You probably wouldn't put 470 mils of ale in your <laughs> juk it is a breakfast gruel if what i ails you <laughs> oh, no Liz. i'm sorry but i'm also not sorry so did it come together all right like so when you made it mm-hmm. well yeah i mean it, yeah. It, you can't go wrong it's one of those dishes where you just put everything in the pot and time is the main ingredient the historical antecedent for the Lancashire hot pot was very popular cotton workers in the 18th century because you put bad meat veg stale beer into a pot put it on the hearth and let it simmer all day while you're at work until the cartilage had broken down and you could make inedible meats into something delicious. So Slumpy mm. simply follows that proud tradition of regional delicacy but makes it more fucked. Mm. Like the ale, it serves two purposes. Like it helps break down the meat and provides umami flavouring to the stew mm. as, as well as moisture. But 
traditionally mm. it would also be used to deglaze the pan so this dish as it's written down does a thing that a lot of cookbooks do where it sort of it elides those little cooking techniques that makes these sort of dishes delicious and like throws them to the wind in order to just put the stuff in the pot and walk away which I, you know is fine mm. but i have some notes I would love to hear these notes. Okay. So like, if someone were to tackle this now, but go in with the experience of someone who's already done it, yeah. what would you recommend they do differently? Well, okay, if I was cooking this in a restaurant, if I had to use only these ingredients, it's a very simple uh, substitution. First of all, you would brown the meat. You can use minced beef, but I would use chuck steak. Traditionally, uh, in British cooking, it would have been mutton, you know, because it's the, it was the cheapest cut available. Mm-hmm. So you, I would salt that, like salt the the, the mince and leave it overnight uncovered in the fridge to dry it out because then it's dry. Mm. Then make little, roll it into little meatballs, put the fat into the pan, which I guess if we're in Ankhmore pork would be suet or lard. If you're lucky. If you're lucky or, I don't know, you squeeze out a dwarf. I'm not familiar with how it all works. But, um, <laughs> you would put the fat in fat, get it hot, put the beef in so it browns. And then you have caramelization on the meat, which is it's called the Maillard reaction. Mm-hmm. So that that would be the main substitution. So then when you, then you take the meat out, and there'll be the flavor of that meat, the caramelization, those like deep brown flavors, some umami notes are going to be left in the pan. Then you would put onions in. There's no onions in this recipe, which uh, seems like a mistake because you know. Mm you'll rarely find like original stew from this area without onions. So I guess it goes without saying, you know, it's like a, it's just reflexively, they should be there, you put the onions in, then you pour the ale in and then you scrape the bottom of the pan. And that's a technique called deglazing, which brings up all that delicious flavor from the meat burnt at the bottom of the pan. Uh, mm. Then you could just follow the rest of the recipe, which is only two lines long as it is. <laughs> But then I would only add the spinach, right? It says to put the spinach in once it's at a boil. I would only put that in five minutes before the end so that it wilts. And mm-hmm. this actually has a quite sophisticated French technique where you make a rule of butter and flour, which in this they call a smooth paste here. So you mix that together, mm. give it a little brown at the bottom of the pot, and then pour that in right before you serve it. And that brings the flavor up and elevates it. And if you wanted to kick it up another notch, because it's quite a heavy, dense dish, I would put in just a splash of red wine vinegar, because that's going to like brighten the whole palate. That little like pop of acid right at the end will help balance out all the salts mm. and the base notes, because it is one of those dishes that you eat because there's nothing else to eat and you plan to live to 32. Yeah. <laughs> Ripe old age of middle ages. <laughs> So tell me how the Clooty dumpling fits into this picture because I looked at this recipe and it just I, I could feel the the aggressive amount of flour and suet and basically nothing else and then go, how is this gonna turn into a meal that I'd wanna eat? Yes, you don't wanna eat the meal. It's inedible. This problem <laughs> is problematic on many levels. There's a Scottish dish called Clooty dumpling. Mm. Looks like a pudding, right? Yeah. It's a pudding. It's a, like a Scottish dessert, sort of a boiled Christmas pudding made with breadcrumbs, sweet, dried fruit, spices. It's a lot like a Christmas pudding. Mm. And it's boiled in a cloth called the clout in Scottish, hence clouty dumpling. And it's mm. served warm with a little cream and whiskey. Uh, and it's like a sweet mm-hmm. sort of comfort food. This recipe is more of like an Irish soda dumpling. Like that would be its closest analog mm. IRL which is just like a heavy fat dumpling 
you put in a meagre stew so that, you know, if you're going to be out all day dying of the famine or whatnot, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, you need your calories. So it's like a very heavy calorie laden dumpling. But, you know, they're very different dumplings served at very different times and from very different cultures. You know, Irish and Scottish are very distinct cuisines and cultures. They're not remotely the same unless you're Mel Gibson doing a Scottish accent because then all bets are off. So <laughs> if you can put aside the problematic psychogeography of this dish, you have just got a very sort of fat, inedible Irish soda dumpling. So if Did you, you give it a go of trying to eat it? Yeah, I mean, I ate them all. Like, <laughs> they're, they're delicious. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's kind of like, remember when KFC did the double down? Oh, I'm trying to forget. The chicken burger that was just burgers inside burgers. It was Infinity Burgers. Burgers all the way down. Yes, mm. uh, Burgers Infinity War. <laughs> it was kind of like that. You, you start eating it on a dare, but then, you know, the shame kicks in halfway through and then you feel badly, <laughs> so you need comfort food, so you just keep chomping on it and your face is going numb from all the salt. And It was it was that kind of experience. But, I mean, mm. the, that, out of the heart, it's, it's fine. The recipe is great. It's just a classic dumpling. Nearly every culture in the world has some dumpling like this. Uh, with this, mm. I would... I made all these recipes once, and it was as bad uh, the first time. But the Clutie mm-hmm. dumpling, I, I had another crack, because why not? And I made it. <laughs> it's very easy to just lighten it up a little bit. Instead of wholemeal flour, I used panko breadcrumbs, because they're deliciously huh. like light. Uh, instead of suet, I used schmaltz, like so chicken fat that I had just lying around from a party <laughs> I had with some chickens. Oh, yeah. And a little bit of baking powder. So it's a little bit closer to matzo balls, you know, like uh, like Eastern European Ashkenazi cuisine. Mm. A secret an old babushka told me is you put in a little baking powder into your dumplings because then they're a little puffier and they float a little more easily when they're boiled. Um, mm. Closer to a gnocchi almost. And so they're much lighter in area. And you don't feel so much like you're eating like a stroke. Like you, you can't feel the cardio... Mm cardiac event in your mouth so much. Um, so those two small substitutions make it a really delicious Moorish dish. So that's what I would go for. Excellent. This is all a, a, a too much complaining about the dish in what is essentially a satirical book. But, you know, I take my uh, clue tea very seriously, as you can see. Having made both of these and having adapted the recipes a little bit, would you make them again for other people? Oh, absolutely. I'm actually, I mean, the weather's rather hot now, but I'm actually really looking forward to making Slumpy again. I would use a chuck steak and I would up the sage a little bit Hmm. and I would julienne some potatoes, like, you know, very finely sliced some potatoes and like lay Mm -hmm. them in like a lattice, like a a hatchwork across the top of Mm -hmm. this stew and then bake it, which is what they do in the Lancashire. And then you have, like, this wonderful crust of crisp potato on top, and then you can just kind of scoop that out and when you serve it. And it's wonderful. And it's just, like, one of those nice sort of home-cooked dishes, which I would happily do for a dinner party. I might leave the clouty out of it, though. I would serve the clouty in, a, like, a different dish, in more of, like, a soupy dish. So if I was making, like, hmm. a hearty soup, you know, a chicken soup, I would put that in there. You could even... Add it as an addition to juke. I mean, why not? You know, go full, mm. full juke about it. 
I'm not joking, but you can add anything to joke except for ale. <laughs> Excellent. So that was a bit of a look at how we can make two things, which on the page to me were a bit of a combination of extremely delicious and familiar and horrifying, like particularly the Clooty dumpling, which as we've just heard, isn't really reflective of the original it's based on. Um, mm. How to make it a little bit more something you might serve to people you want to see again in, in your life. <laughs> So that was from Liam Peeper, who is a keen cook and also an author and who's also experienced like working in kitchens as well. So if you'd like to see more of his work, his most recent novel is Sweetness and Light. He's also written another novel called The Toymaker, as well as a memoir. And you can find more about it in the show notes. One of the most, well, I hesitate to say that we're qualified. I mean, I don't want to suggest anyone's unqualified to be doing this because no one's really qualified to cook something from this book in particular. But um, I appreciate we have a few people with more expertise in the kitchen. And I liked the experimental nature of some of those things that Liam was doing, which kind of leads us into this next recipe, which now you cooked Wow Wow sauce, Liz. Mm. Yeah, so this one is a bit of a weird one for me because, you know, she just showed up in the Dropbox and, I mean, anyone listening to it, it, it sounds like it's me, but it clearly is not from the context. We don't know who hmm. made this one. It's a bit of an odd one. Should we just go straight into it to see what people make of it and then just discuss afterwards? Day one, entry one. This is, well, you don't need to know who this is, which is why I've disguised my voice to sound like one familiar to you. I've broken into Arch-Chancellor Ridkelly's office and secured a bottle of this wow-wow sauce. He's been Arch-Chancellor for far too long, and you know what they say, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. The smart woman once told me a better way is up and under the ribs, so I'm going to try and figure out how he makes it. Day 1, Entry 2 Okay, so with a bit of help from Hex and some Igor input, I've got a bit of an ingredient list and a plan. First step, concentrating on mushrooms. Day 5, Entry 3 Okay, so after some trial and error, it seems that rather than thinking only about mushrooms for a long period of time, I've actually got to put some salt on them and let them hang about for a while. Not sure how much salt, so I might just uh, add some more. Day 6, Entry 4. Right, so that is the mushroom liquid sorted. It didn't make very much, but I squeezed every last little bit of moisture possible through this strainer. What to do with these leftover mushrooms, though? Maybe save them for after the dastardly plan. Day 6, Entry 5. None of these ingredients make any sense, either separately or together. Mustard, we know, but what on earth is in English? I started with the butter, which I was told to use a lump around the size of an egg. What kind of egg? Chicken? Dragon? Human? Well, I can always add more later. Day 6, Entry 6. Honestly, it seems with every ingredient I add, this just gets a little bit worse. The colour is certainly unattractive, but it's seemingly closer to the bottle I got from Ridkelly's office. This dreaded stirring, though. It's giving me far too much time to think. Day 6, Entry 7. It is done, and it is... lumpy, which I guess means it is correct? Day 6, Entry 8. The taste tests are in. It has been tried with mutton, and it has been tried with egg, fried up in the leftover mushrooms, as one must always concentrate on the details. It has also been compared with the original bottle, and it seems the taste is an exact match. A bit like licking the floor in the mended drum. But, mm, in a nice way, I suppose. So now all that's left to add is something a little bit extra and slip back into Ridkelly's office. Time for a new Arch-Chancellor. Day 7, Entry 9. I've run into a little bit of a problem, um, and I'm rapidly running out of poisons to try, but we'll, we'll keep plugging away at it. Day 9, Entry 10. Project has been a failure. It seems the Wow Wow sauce is so strong, it not only resists other flavours, but actively breaks down anything malicious added to it. I will regroup. 
But first, um, what to do with 700 pounds of this accursed condiment? Perhaps Dibbler might be interested. Or the alchemists. This, if I'm following this correctly, our Dropbox opened a portal to the actual Discworld. Yeah, and they used my voice to do it. I don't know who, who used I mean, it. It's, yeah, it's, it's pretty close to your voice. but It sounded... I mean, I don't like listening to my voice, which is an odd thing to say as someone who has a podcast, but I mean, I don't... <laughs> well, like you don't have to listen to the podcasts. Yes, but I do. But um, um, yes, just, well, just, just not so listen to I. my own bits. But um, yes, that is definitely not me. 100% not me. Um, don't ask no. me to swear on that. But yes. No, no. I mean, I shudder to consider the implications of what will happen. Well, I mean, they could pour it all in the ank, and it probably wouldn't make that much of a difference. But can you imagine if the ank is made out of wow wow sauce? That would be bad for oh. everyone involved. The, the sort of oh. fish that would emerge from that, it's just... I'm worried that there's going to be a black market in wow wow sauce in Angmore pork now. Yeah, and also, it's... considering what we just found out um, it can do, I worry that there's implications on a social level. Also, I don't think the Assassin's Guild are going to stand for this. Like a universal antidote. That's <laughs> not... Not that I think it would help you if you'd already drunk the potion, but... but uh, maybe it would. Like, maybe Veterinary's going to have to just buy up all of it. Mm. I mean, well, he's he's got a, his own method, as outlined in the book. He doesn't feel he needs anything else to deal with that sort of stuff anymore. Well, look, thank you, whoever sent that in, because I feel like it was not the person who recorded it. I think this has been slipped to us. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was Deep Bone, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But let's continue on. We've got another old guest, another... Guest of Hogswatch Past, from all the way back in episode 17, we last saw Nadia Bailey, who's the person who sent in this next recipe, in March 2019, way back in the before times, Liz. You bring up a name and I'm like, oh, they're from like three episodes ago, and then it'll be like four years ago. It all they all feel so recent. Look, this is this is actually this is one of the recipes I have my eye on because mm. as, a, as also I am a vegetarian, and so there were a lot of things that were just inaccessible to me without heavy substitution or alteration in this book. But this one would have been fine as is, and it sounded actually pretty delicious. So I'm really excited to see how it turned out. So, Nadia, tell us all about Sergeant Angua's Vegetable Stew with Dumplings. Hi, everyone. My name's Nadia Bailey, and today I'm going to be sharing my experience of making Sergeant Angua's Vegetable Stew with Dumplings from Nanny Og's cookbook. I chose to make this recipe for a few reasons. Firstly, because like Sergeant Angua, I'm a vegetarian. And secondly, because I'm an absolute fiend for dumplings. Whether it's filled kinds like gyoza, momo, and pierogi, or doughy specimens like spatzel, matzo balls, or nudi, whether in soup or on their own, there's just something that's very satisfying about dumplings. Maybe it's the carbs. But first, I want to take this opportunity to talk about Sergeant Angua, a character who is occasionally criticized for being, I guess, kind of a stereotypical fantasy character. She's beautiful, blonde, capable, strong, yet vulnerable. And the descriptions of her throughout the series do border on being a bit male-gazy at times. But you know what? I don't really have a problem with that. Terry Pratchett always walks the line between spoofing fantasy tropes and pushing them along to see how far they'll go. And it's true that Jack Kirby's version of Angua on the front cover of Men at Arms is all breastplate and leotard, but that's actually a fairly accurate representation of how she's portrayed in the book. But I like Angua. 
she doesn't feel two-dimensional to me. Plus there's the whole werewolf thing, which happens to play into some of my favourite Eastern European mythology. And rather than giving in to her bloodthirsty nature, Angua is a good werewolf, but not in that tortured way of, say, Professor Lupin in Harry Potter or, you know, if you are thinking about vampires, Angel in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She was born a werewolf rather than kind of becoming one through accident or misadventure. She's what's known as a constitutional werewolf, according to some folklorists. So she's like relatively at peace with the monstrous side of her nature, which I find kind of quite endearing. Uh, Anyway, back to the soup. If you don't happen to have the cookbook on hand, let me describe it to you. It is a vaguely goulash-inspired stew, but with herb dumplings, um, a kind of variation of the Hungarian galushka, but like much bigger and fluffier. So you start off by making a kind of sofrito of leek, green capsicum, carrot and garlic, which you cook in olive oil until it softens. Then you add some mushrooms, tinned tomatoes and vegetable stock and let that simmer. A good whack of paprika, actually a lot of paprika, provides this really nice smoky flavor. So then while that's simmering away, you mix together self-raising flour, mixed herbs, vegetable lard and water until you can form a kind of dough and then you make that into your dumplings. Finally, uh, you add a little balsamic vinegar to the soup along with a can of mixed beans and the dumplings and you let that cook for about 25 minutes. It's a pretty simple recipe and I followed it more or less as written. Um, I used a can of muti, cherry tomatoes and these kind of like quite fancy organic bean mix that included chickpeas because I prefer chickpeas over the ubiquitous and to my mind far inferior kidney bean. Um, My dumplings were flavoured with a mix of fresh rosemary, parsley, coriander and a ton of dill because I really felt like that would play into the kind of Eastern European almost like borscht-y feeling that was going on. One thing that I did change was that I couldn't find vegetable lard in Australia. I don't know if it's even produced here. It does seem to be readily available in the UK though. So I used olive oil instead as the kind of fat I was a little worried about this switch because lard is like a solid as far as I know and the olive oil definitely is not. But the dumplings came out fluffy and soft so I guess that was a success. The soup itself is kind of a stew really. It's vegetable heavy rather than brothy and when I had kind of finished making it I added some coriander flowers at the end because I like being needlessly fancy plus a drizzle of olive oil and some cracked black pepper. So the result of all of this is a quite comforting smoky kind of soup something that you might eat on a cold winter's night in Ankh-Morpork when fresh vegetables are scarce. I can imagine it's pretty adaptable too. Um, You could use onion instead of leek, sweet potato instead of carrot, dried mushrooms rather than fresh, and any herbs you happen to have on hand. So I recommend this soup. Make it. It's a good soup. You'll want to, and forgive me for this, woof it down. Thanks for having me. Once again, how dare with such a good pun to end on. Like that was, and also, as we said beforehand, it sounds absolutely delicious. Like it sounds like something that Mm. I would want to cook like this weekend. 
Yeah. And I was really happy to hear about the substitution for lard because I'm mm. like, you can't, I mean, you can't eat lard anyway if you're vegetarian. That's not really okay. But it's... With a vegetable lard, um, which seems, mm. um, as Nadia said, seems to be readily available in the UK, but just isn't a thing here. I've never seen it. And I, I guess maybe marketplaces might be able to do it for you, but it seems like it would be a pretty bespoke, hard to get thing here. Mm. So being able to substitute it for olive oil, I think is a great tip and something good to know. Yeah. And also I just learned a lot about a lot of kinds of dumplings and other things that I, I don't know that I already knew the words for. So now I'm quite excited about it. And uh, I'm going to be investigating. Oh, and werewolves. Yes, that's true. I have a book about werewolves. It's the famous one, Sabine Berengold's The Book of Werewolves. It's reasonably old. First published in 1865. There you go. But uh, I don't know if this has got... It's been a while since I've read it. It's sort of a one of those facsimile copies, so they've tried to reproduce it. But I don't know if it talks about constitutional werewolves. I'm going to have to look that up. And also, I am going to have to find out more about coriander flowers, because I do love a bit of fancy things as well so it just sounded great like everything about that sounded great i learned a lot it sounded like the recipe is very doable and you don't have to sort of go all over town to get confusing ingredients so Mm. yeah and more dill dill the unexpected hero of the podcast so far well it's delicious so (laughs) (laughs) yes so Nadia is always producing amazing work, like both long and short form things. So like she's released several books. Some include the Stranger Things Field Guide and the Book of Barb. But if you want to just keep an eye on her website or her social media, she's constantly writing about new and interesting things from food to pop culture. So absolutely go check out her work. And thank you so much, Nadia. Well, look, one of the other things we wanted to do for this is reach out to some of our fellow Pratchett podcasters because there are something like, I think there's around a dozen active podcasts at the moment discussing Terry Pratchett, most of them reading through the books and discussing them in order, which is exciting. Like there's been so many started up in particularly the last couple of years and it's been really nice to reach out to them and, and sort of do something with them. The first people we're going to feature are one of the older podcast they started up not too long after us i think only a year or two after we did so we'd love to introduce you listener if you haven't met them before to manning and liz from the weird sisters podcast who are cooking the one and only cut me own throat dibblers (laughs) sausage in a bun hey there this is manning and this is liz and we're from the weird sisters podcast your source for discworld discussion or some people's source for Discworld discussion. <laughs> yeah, one of many. And we are coming to you with a recipe from the legendary Cut Me Own Throat Dibbler. That's right, <laughs> this is how the sausage gets made. <laughs> oh, Liz, have you had a English-style sausage before? I don't think so. I'm generally not, like, a super meat-focused person, so I don't eat it super often anyways. So I eat sausages maybe, like, a handful of times per year. Uh, me personally, I, I'm kind of addicted to meat. <laughs> like, I'm not proud of it. I know that there's a lot of, like, animal rights things. Although, I've been recently reading stuff that, like, animal welfare is more important. But anyway, that's a, beside the point. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a long, like, deep conversation to have. And I don't think there's necessarily one right answer or wrong answer. But the actual right answer here is making sausages. <laughs> Let's see. Do we want to just read out the recipe? Yeah, it's not terribly long. CMOT Dibbler Sausage in a Bun. Makes about 30 sausages. 14 kilograms of top quality pork, minced. 450 grams of breadcrumbs. 1 teaspoon black pepper. 
three tablespoons fresh chopped sage, half a teaspoon of ground nutmeg, water, sausage skins, and buns of your choice. Mix all of the sausage ingredients in a bowl. Add enough water to achieve a nice squidgy texture and fill the sausage skins with the result. Twist into links. Grill or fry and serve hot in freshly baked buns. The first major challenge to this was just acquiring sausage skins. Yeah. I, like, looked around and none of my local grocery stores sold them. And there's not, like, a whole lot of delis around here. So I had to order them off of Amazon. (laughs) I was lucky enough to procure some from my local uh, market basket, which, if you have to choose a grocery store, is probably the best one just because it's, like, worker-owned. Oh, that's cool. The guy looked at me a little weird when I said I was looking for sausage skins and like said, sausage <laughs> casings are right here. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're like the same thing. I think maybe sausage skins might be a like more British way to refer to them. Yeah, that tracks. And also the actual material is not really made from skin. Mm-hmm. It is made from pig intestine. Yeah, which sounds real charming. <laughs> yeah, not to get puerile about it, but when I was getting everything set up, I was more expecting the sausage casings to be like a bunch of edible condoms, basically. <laughs> I think that's a weirdly accurate way to describe them. Mine came like packed in salt. I don't know if that's like common for all of them, but I had to rinse them off. And so they were just like these weird, like semi-opaque floating wet tubes. Yeah. Full of water. And it definitely had that appearance. Yeah. It was like the worst spaghetti. Yeah. (laughs) Did not look appetizing. Actually, the skins were the worst part at the beginning and the end, because, like, (laughs) putting the ingredients together, I thought was not that difficult. Yes. I've made, like, meatballs and such before. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty much just that process. And the recipe is, like, very straightforward in saying it's just mix all of it together. Yeah, but, like, actually stuffing the meat into the skins was such a chore. (laughs) Yeah, that was definitely a lot of, like, finagling, trying to figure out how to get it to do that. Yeah, I will give the the skins credit. Like, they were a lot tougher than I expected. Oh, yeah, I was expecting to at least, like, punch a couple holes into them, and I don't think I did. Nice! I did, and ended (laughs) up, uh, recipe says it makes 30 sausages. How many did you make? I made... Three. I have leftover sausage that I froze because I was getting a hand cramp, so I called it good. I actually only made two. Rather than freezing the excess sausage, put all of the meat into a pan with Mm -hmm. some uh, garlic, frozen spinach, Mm -hmm. tomatoes, other stuff, made like a real meal out of it. Ooh, that sounds good. I might have to do that when I finally break out one of those. (laughs) But yeah, the actual sausage themselves... What did you think of the taste? I think it was actually surprisingly good. I was expecting it to be much worse, like, all the way around, just because (laughs) of my own, like, lack of culinary skills, because I don't cook much either. Um, And I definitely think I probably got the proportions of, like, seasonings a little wrong, but it was still really good in spite of that. I had to convert a lot of the grams into freedom units. (laughs) Yeah, I was like... Desperately on my phone trying to figure out how many grams of breadcrumbs is a cup. Yeah, for the record, it's like 450 grams of breadcrumbs. That's about two cups worth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, actually, I felt it like it was fine, but it was a little bland. Mm -hmm. Probably not enough sage in the recipe. Yeah, I went a little heavy on the sage for what it was calling for. So I didn't run into that problem. But again... (laughs) On top of my lack of culinary skills, I'm also not very good at math, so converting for (laughs) recipes is like my kryptonite. 
but I really wish mine had a little bit more pepper and nutmeg because I don't think I got any of that in the recipe. Yeah. I also would have, I'd recommend just like a teaspoon or two of salt as well, just to bring yeah. out some more flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be nice. But then again, we are Americans and so we're used to <laughs> food drenched in salt and fat. Yeah. So that tracks. <laughs> but yeah, like having visited and had sausages in England, mm-hmm. like I think it was a pretty accurate English sausage. Hmm, that's surprising. Just with how short the recipe is, I felt like it must be leaving so much out but it kind of feels like no it's exactly the amount of information you need i mean like sausages have been a food for i don't know centuries Mm -hmm. simplicity is probably a key thing and also customization right there's probably plenty of places who do it slightly differently yeah sausages like is a very wide like label of food Yeah, so I think I made a pretty accurate English sausage, but I suspect I did not make an accurate Dibbler sausage. (laughs) Yeah, I imagine it probably was slightly higher quality. (laughs) Canonically, this is a recipe that he wrote down and gave to Nanny Og, right? I think so, since this is Nanny Og's cookbook. Yeah, so I imagine that he gave a correct recipe. (laughs) He probably cut some corners in his own work. Yeah, I think uh, American food regulations, as spotty as they are, probably are better than Dibbler's on personal standards. <laughs> One would hope. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, what process did you use for filling the skins? <laughs> Oh, actually, one of our roommates recommended using a a piping bag, like like what for cake decorating and such. Mm-hmm. I tried that. I, I thought it might work. Uh-huh. As long as you have the nozzle wide enough to go easily into the sausage, it works. But if you have it, like, super thin, it just does not. Yeah, I think mine was a little small, so that was where my hand cramp was coming from. Yeah, that's fair. But I also just, at one point, I was just, like, taking little maybe inch-sized golf ball pieces of it and just like sticking it in there and if you can get it just like inside the casing you can kind of just like squish it down to the end yeah which was a gross experience and made me laugh a lot (laughs) probably not how they do it for real well i think these days it's like largely mechanical yeah i know you can get like meat grinder attachment things that basically you just shove the casing on there and feed meat through it and it does it all for you yeah that makes sense i think this is a much more novel way to do it (laughs) Probably, like, fairly old de school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my partner was sitting there watching me, and he was like, there has to be a way that they did this, because sausages are old, you yeah. know, and and those, like, little mechanical things haven't existed forever. And from what he was looking at, it looks like they used to use, like, funnels and would put the casings over the end of the funnel, and then you just like, oh. shove it through that. Th- that also makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, oh, I've never, like, had to think about it before. But all of this, like, all puzzle pieces and the, like, greater picture of things. So, thank you to Ben and Elizabeth for letting us talk about meat for however long <laughs> this was. <laughs> yeah, and congrats on your 50th episode. It's, like, a huge deal. Yeah, take care, we'll see you around. Oh, and for those curious, I'm going to post pictures of at least my sausage. That came out wrong. I'm going to post to our Twitter just a photo of some sausage so you can see the results. You know, just take a good long look at my sausage. 
this is actually one of the ones that I had my eye on making because it just, just it sounds great, but also because in the books they're not great. I think we've talked about this before. It's like you, <laughs> yeah. you always want it, but they he just walk that perfect line of of you shouldn't have it, but also like why they always sell so well. So I think it's great that this one made it in there, and I'm so glad that they chose this. Mm. I mean, impossible to make vegetarian, really. I mean, there are vegetarian sausages, but I don't think they're the sort of thing you can make at home. No. <laughs> necessarily. I, I had no idea what you would replace the sausage skins or sausage casings, as the case may be, with. As the case may be. <laughs> as the case may be. Oh, God, that was unintentional. I promise, mm. listener. But yeah, I'm really enjoying everyone's been on a real journey back in time to how things were done either, you know, in England in specific or just before the industrialization of our food. It's been fun. What about that weird filmy stuff from um, onions? Filmy stuff. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Like when just under the layer. under the yeah. papery skin, there's that sort of like almost like cling wrappy. Yeah. You'd probably burn though if you cooked it. Like, yeah. like you cooked it's not very sausage. strong. No. Either. Yeah. There might, I mean, there must be something. Interestingly, my favorite vegetarian sausages, they almost don't have a skin. They're sort of weirdly mm. sticky and goopy on the outside. And they, they still taste delicious and they fry the out nicely. But but the texture's a bit weird um, on the outside. So I don't know if they use the equivalent of a skin. But nice to, nice to get an American's perspective on mm. all of this nonsense. <laughs> I thought that was great. Didn't have as much trouble with some of the ingredients as I thought they might. Pretty oh. pretty straightforward. They seem like they might have been in need of some sage advice at a certain point, but... <laughs> in fact, as Manning said to me, they might have needed some sage advice, although they think parsley advice is cleaner and rosemary advice is more woodsy. Time advice takes too long. Uh, yes, true. Mm. But I like that it turned out to be quite authentic. Yeah. Did you want it to be authentic? Based on the book? sausage. Okay. Not an authentic dibbler Not, sausage, okay, but an good. authentic tasting English. I, I like that Manning refers to them as English sausages, which I never really thought about. But I guess in Australia, we have English style sausages. So when she said that, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Uh, I have had an American sausage, but it's more, I mean, mostly have hot dogs, right? They don't really do. I, I don't know, actually. I haven't, well, I haven't been there, so I'm not sure, like... Mm. That that would be my guess, but I don't know that for sure. Well, I don't remember sausages being a big thing. Like, hot dogs really is what they have instead, and they're more like frankfurts. Mm. Um, so, yeah, quite different. Quite yeah. different. But, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Manning and Liz. They are the Weird Sisters from the Weird Sisters podcast. As we're recording this in December 2021, they're up to episode 33, which was about going postal. So, they're on the home stretch now, only about eight more books to go, and they'll have done the entire series. Check them out. All right, so next up we have another podcast. Um, this time it is The Truth Shall Make You Fret, and they have made Chocolate Delight with Special Secret Sauce. And this was a particular lot of fun because we got to talk to them mm. across the international dateline. And thank you, Joe and Francine, for volunteering to stay up late so we could do that. We had a really lovely chat, and this is only about half of it. If you want to hear the rest of it, if you subscribe to our podcast or to theirs, I'm sure we'll probably both share the full recording of our chat at some point. But here's the bit about the food. Uh, so we... Jo Joanna did the picking, so... <laughs> I create a short list and then let you choose. Yeah, a um, short list of two. Yeah. <laughs> that is a <laughs> very short list. <laughs> One of which was far too difficult for me to make, so yeah. So we went with the chocolate delight with special secret sauce. 
which mm. seemed appropriate because we've not long covered masquerade. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Did you cook it together or did you each do your own version? We each did our own because Joanna and I are very good friends, but Joanna is a chef and I would like to preserve our friendship by not cooking with her. <laughs> I I don't really let other people in a kitchen with me unless I'm allowed to throw things at their heads. And a big basis of Francine knows friendship is me rarely throwing things at her head. We keep it largely non-violent. Oh, that's largely. That sounds good. It's worked for us so far. (laughs) What what kind of a chef were you or are you? I I don't know. Do you still do any chefing? You're always a chef when you're a chef. (laughs) Like a marine, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I officially gave it up uh, back in June, but I was a pub chef for a while, a brief experience of burger flipping in a bowling alley, which I don't recommend to anyone. Also, I had unlimited free bowling for a year and I still can't bowl. <laughs> um, and then for the last six years until I gave it up, I was working at a little restaurant attached to a sort of indie cinema with an amazing, completely mad Canadian man as my head chef. I was his sous chef for a while, oh, wow. uh, doing a lot of baking, which was really fun. But I now do a tiny bit of recipe development for a little indie coffee and tea company. So I still get to cook. Oh, wow. You seem extremely qualified for this episode. I will also talk about food until you stop me. So I'm sorry now. (laughs) No, don't apologize. I'm so glad I've eaten so much this evening. Joanna always makes me very hungry while we're eating. (laughs) While we're eating, no, see, while we're recording. We're not eating right now. No, no, we would never do that on the podcast. The mouth noises would be horrible we mm. did once have us live eating scones on the podcast because yeah, i was yeah, trying was... to prove a point over clotted cream and jam oh do you okay is, is it the was... order in which they go on mm. yeah i've uh jo- joanna insists it's clotted cream then jam what? no that's wrong thank you, thank I, you. Look. jam and then the cream on top it's otherwise it's structurally it... more sound mm. it's not jam would just fall off it's dense Look, I feel I I go a bit either way. I'm, you know, yeah, worse. I know it's the it's worse, isn't it? I've tried it both ways, and I don't know which way I prefer. I think Joanna won the argument. (laughs) It's about structure, not taste. Yeah, I I think Joanna just wanted it more, really. But yeah, I think I just kept talking until you conceded. To be fair, which is how I win most arguments. (laughs) But uh, filibustery. Yeah. Back to the dessert in question. Mm, I, I mm, am mm. the opposite of well qualified. I'm very bad at baking. So it was very kind of Joanna to pick something that was much easier than uh, half of the stuff on there. <laughs> um, I feel like you're uniquely qualified of all the people we'll talk to on this podcast to say this, but how do these recipes read to you? This was a bit more old school recipe book of the kind that I haven't seen for a while. But is this kind of traditional or is this a bit more modern? Where, where does this fit? In it the seemed sort of... quite vague, didn't it? Mm. It was really vague. The actual way the recipes were, I didn't entirely stick to the. I very rarely properly stick to recipes unless it's something very specific that I've never made before. Mm. And this was close enough to things I've made before that I faffed about with it. But I don't really like this style of recipe where it's lots of random paragraphs. It's fine if it's Nigel Slater. He can kind of get away with that by being Nigel Slater. Hmm. But in this, I'd much rather have a list of do this, then this, then this. I see. I quite like the vagueness of it. I say that I did have you to text whenever I wasn't sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it it feels like it's written for people who already know how to cook kind of like, it's not a beginner's cookbook. Yeah. No. What is a ripple effect? I I was like, 
<laughs> oh, like it looks like a, you know, like raspberry ripple ice cream, I was guessing. Yeah. Okay. So it's sort like, of like a darker yeah. chocolate swelled through. Yeah. Oh, I okay. see. I can like a tie-dye it, effect. Yes. Tie-dye pudding. Yeah. Oh, delicious. Appeals to the hippie in me. I <laughs> <laughs> made little modif- Well, you made quite big modifications, didn't you, Joanna? I, Tell us I, how I, what you did. <laughs> I sort of ended up with four variations because, well, not exactly. <laughs> this is why you ask a chef. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Mozart. <laughs> I got. I was doing science. Obviously, this was all for science and not just an excuse to eat a lot of chocolate. Mm, it's the mm. other reason. I only actually did this about two hours ago because I had a friend over tonight and I needed someone to help me. Just with eating it, not with cooking it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Possibly outsourcing the washing up as well. <laughs> Grand. But the the recipe calls for white chocolate in the pudding itself and then a white chocolate sauce. And I don't really like white chocolate that much. Mm. So I did half of the sponges with white chocolate and half with dark. Then made the white chocolate sauce and a dark chocolate version of the sauce with spiced rum and some chilli. And so obviously then we had to try the white chocolate pudding with the white sauce, the white chocolate pudding with the dark sauce, and then both sauces on the dark chocolate puddings. I've had a lot of sugar. (laughs) Can I come to your house? (laughs) (laughs) I just want to really highly approve of your decision to use spiced rum. That is one of my Mm. personal faves for anything. But it's white rum in the recipe for the white chocolate sauce. So I figured if I was going to adapt it to dark chocolate, I'd also throw other things in it. The chili was a good choice, though. You put chili in your sauce as well, didn't you, Francine? Yeah. See, I wasn't going to buy rum for the sake of this, so I put a bunch of cayenne pepper in there, which did make me and the dog go into a sneezing fix. I wasn't very careful, but it did taste delicious. So I'm going <laughs> right. to pull it all in. Mm. It's a surprising. It's such. A, it always surprises me how good chili and chocolate is as a combination. Mm. I was trying to think, like, oh, it just seems kind of boring, like a chocolate sauce on its own. What can I add that's not just liquor? And yeah. Mm. Chili, chili. Yeah, I feel like adding chili to more things is a good choice, but that might be because I'm getting over a cold. <laughs> Joe taught me that you can put tea in place of wine yes. if, you, if you don't have any cooking wine. Oh, really? In place of yeah. red wine, you can use like strong black tea because it's the same sort of tannins, so it has a similar effect. Uh-huh. It's a very good brilliant. way to do a very, very low budget beef bourguignon. Wow. I'm changing my cooking future just through like, this conversation. Oh, yeah. no, the only reason I can cook as well as I can is because I lived with Joe for a bit and now I still have her on 24-7 support. <laughs> like, the downside- Joanna, I have been presented with this chunk of meat. Please help. <laughs> the downside is I forget that things that are really obvious to me aren't to other people. So I'll get a quick, like, how do I do this? And it's sort of a, oh, it's really easy. Provided you have 10 years of cooking experience already. (laughs) Or I'll get, how do I do this? And it's like, well, I know how to make it, but I have literally no idea how much of anything I put in because I cook entirely by vibe at home. (laughs) (laughs) That is actually like whole Nanny Og's whole thing because they said like in the translation of it, like in the introduction, that it was like a bit of this and like some some of that, that. like a bit of flour seems like more of some of salt and it's just, yeah. (laughs) I did not weigh anything for this recipe because I forgot. What? Oh, I forgot to buy new batteries for my scales, so I just kind of went oh. volume-ish. I guess, mm, no, mm. I wouldn't have been able to pull that off. I did wait, things, yes. <laughs> I was just really, really pleased to see one of these sort of themed cookbooks that has metric measurements in it because so many of them come out of the US and they're all like, there's this many pounds of this and ounces of that. I'm like, I have no idea what any of that means. It was like that great tweet that's like one ounce of clam and like two 
be our house and it's just yeah yeah the benefits to having worked with a canadian for six years is they use a weird unholy mix of imperial and metric oh, no. that means not only am i good at working with pounds and ounces i'm very good at dividing things by 16 and multiplying things by 28.7 <laughs> If we think you could have a cup measurement and also a weight so you can choose which one you want to use, in my opinion. I'm just super quickly going to put a couple of uh, some pictures of the ones we did into the chat here. Oh, great. And mm. that's, 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 you can see how well Joanna did, basically, because I was very impressed. I feel like I should have eaten beforehand before talking about <laughs> one of the most delicious sounding recipes. Yes. I mean, I did have this. breakfast, but, you know, having had some breakfast cereal does not, does not prepare you for discussing no, absolutely or seeing pictures of what we are looking at, listener. This is this is quite extraordinary. I also want to point out the nerdiest thing I did in trying to make four variations is colour coding it. So the puddings with white chocolate chips were in white bowls and the ones with dark chocolate chips were in dark bowls. You're ridiculous. Mm. I really I need it. to get out more. You can't no, you just you know, once less. a chef, always a chef. <laughs> <laughs> got it. The presentation is important. Yeah. Oh, that's it was very so nice good. Anyway. Oh, it Even was delicious. Really I highly really recommend it. It was really good. Okay, now I want to cook this. I feel like the result of getting people to cook other things from the book that I didn't cook is that I will want to cook them, and that's okay by me. It means I'll get a lot of use out of the. At one point, I had three copies of this book, uh, but now wow. now I've rationalised. I just have the. Actually, no, I still have two, but that's okay. I, <laughs> One of them, one will... for looking at and one for using in the kitchen. Yeah, it was one. One is none. Backup is important. Yeah, that's true. Oh, it looks so. Oh, it looks so good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very, very jealous. Now I'm angry now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I need to cook this now. I, I obviously we've left out an important ingredient because it it's specifically left out in the book without saying what it is, but it's the ingredient that gives it the effect it has in masquerade i have no idea what that ingredient might be but i suspect and have you ever seen that film um like water for chocolate like the one where the woman's cooks stuff and her emotions go into whatever she's cooking and then whoever eats it feels those emotions like and chocolate is that i always get confused oh, i've read the i've read chocolate yeah i've read chocolate i've never um, actually watched the film and she runs like chocolate both shop? at school oh yeah oh. yeah yeah. All I remember is that the priest said that dogs don't have souls, and that's like the main thing I took away from that book. I think I, yeah. but also the chocolate. Also, the priest was a dickhead, though. So, yeah. if anything, that proves that dogs do have souls. Mm. Mm. He didn't have a soul. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this would still have. I mean, just looking at it, it's having a different but extreme effect on me, which is I'm just very <laughs> hungry. I want to eat that pudding. It looks amazing. <laughs> oh, I bought a whole nutmeg and grated that instead of just using the stuff and the powder. I did oh. make an effort. There we go. Well, well done. I like the picture. <laughs> a fresh one. I have never yeah, like, seen... Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, I love... Th- this is one of my favourite things in the book is the illustrations, and I particularly love the little... They are great. The little imp-powered kitchen helpers. There's this one grating it. There's the other one. There's the egg beater, and on top of where they would normally have a handle, there's a little imp with, like... Has he got bicycle oh. pedals, I think? It was very... It's great. I love that. I'm shocked he's not, like beating the egg like that seems like much more yeah. <laughs> yeah. is there i mean you've read the book right you've yes. or at least you had to leaf through it what how do you feel about it in general like as a collection of recipes I, well i mean the, the recipes are kind of secondary to it being a very silly book that's very much for people who love discworld and it's full of jokes but for that they're also quite good recipes mm. 
like this is the only one I've actually cooked from it, but it works. And that's really not something you can say for a lot of cookbooks that are really badly tested. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, they brought in someone to do the recipes for them. There are people who make quite a good living just ghostwriting recipes for mm. themed cookbooks like this, because so many of them exist. Like you've got, uh, I know there's a Skyrim one, Game of Thrones, World of Warcraft, Dungeons and Dragons all exist. I've got a Gilmore Girls one somewhere. A Gilmore Girls Wait, one? Wait, there's a, yeah. how, how do I not know about this? Um, probably because it all looks awful. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> just like piles well, if you think of, like, about lollies? what they eat in the Gilmore Girls. Yeah. 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 Okay, yeah, I like fine. having it to look through because it's fun, but I don't think I've ever tried to cook it. Well, I, I don't eat meat, if nothing else, and almost all of it is just piles of meat and cheese. Okay. <laughs> oh, is it like Luke's Diner sort of food? Not like I was like, what yeah, did they yeah. cook? Yeah. <laughs> they never ate anything on the show, did they? Actually, they just had big plates of food in front of them and then left. Oh, about it. Eating yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, television. Yes. Hmm. You never really eat mm. anything. But yeah, friends, I was I was actually pleasantly surprised how many of these recipes are or could be made vegetarian because I was not expecting that. I was like, Nanny Ock's going to make like piles of meat and stuff. But yeah, I guess a decent percentage of Discworld readers probably are vegetarian are or, or like whatever these days. And yeah, oh, it was a nice little nod, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think next time I'll try and make something savoury. Generally, as I say, I'm not a good baker. I'm okay at cooking. I'm not good at baking. And the fact that this came out okay is probably a testament to the fact the recipe is a good one. Yeah. We are going to try making dwarf bread in my house. Oh, yes, um, So we'll see how that goes. And then fight each other with it? Yeah, or... I was going to say, yeah. who's, who, who's the target? We'll use it to scare away and possibly feed the big crow that keeps stealing stuff out of our bins, I guess. <laughs> I won't throw it at the crow. Is it magpies in Australia that attack you if you're on a bike? Uh, yeah. It's lots of things attack you if you're in Australia. But oh. yeah. magpies <laughs> in particular, they like shiny things and they yeah. like swoop. Look, thank you so much, Joe Francine, for agreeing to do this and for cooking such delicious looking chocolate pudding. Oh, Thank you. It was very nice. Thank you for prompting us to actually do something hogswatchy, a cross-podcast one, because I know we talked about it much earlier in the year and then basically we forgot so yeah thank you yeah. Which happens <laughs> and thank you for giving me an excuse to eat that much chocolate in one sitting <laughs> yeah i did eat like a fistful of white chocolate chips it's been a good day <laughs> yeah oh good i'm glad that there's one other person on the planet who likes white chocolate aside from me it's good i like it a lot i, I don't know what it actually is but i like it yeah it's not really technically chocolate no i'm gonna be doing the chili chug one. Oh yeah I have to say, for the scientific purposes of research, the best combo was actually white chocolate chips in the pudding with the dark chocolate and chilli sauce. All right, so coming back off that, I just want to say how much I love that they tried so many different versions of it because <laughs> that's just, it's it wouldn't have occurred to me initially, I think, to do that with this recipe in particular because I sort of go, chocolate, you do what the recipe says or otherwise everything goes horribly wrong because chocolate just loves to go wrong if you accidentally add, like, water at the wrong time or if you melt it at the wrong bit or if you get the wrong type. So hmm. I, it's nice to know that you can change things up a little bit and it works out deliciously all the same. Yeah, and I mean, look, Joe is absolutely the most qualified. I know I said I wouldn't use that term, but but it's true. She is. Yeah. She's the professional chef. And uh, so, yes, thank you for all that effort that you went to and for the great discussion. It was so much fun. And look, you should definitely check out the Truth Shall Make You Fret as well. If you like our podcast, all of the podcasts that we're featuring, they're all right up your alley. They're interesting, fun people talking about Terry Pratchett books. And the Truth Shall Make You Fret 
is up to episode 70 because they do three weekly episodes for each book. They have a week off and then they do three episodes the next month for the next book. And they cunningly manipulated their schedule so that they would be doing Hogfather around this time. So if you want to hear about Hogfather, uh, I mean, you can go back in time and listen to our Hogfather episode, Pratchett 26, or you can listen to The Truth Shall Make You Fret, where it will be no doubt a great delight. So next up, we have the complete discography with Aaron and Anna, and they have taken on two. Strawberry Wobbler. Did I say strawberry? Did, 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 strawberry? did I add I an L in there have. somewhere? I think that's fine, though. I mean, I feel like if you've eaten a couple of them, that might be how you'd say it anyway. So but When you I wobble just, the second word into the first word. I just mean, roll with get. it. All right, so they made <laughs> Strawberry Wobbler and also Figgins. Good evening and welcome to this micro uh, complete discography where we are producing some recipes on behalf of our friends, the Pratt Chat podcast, uh, who are reaching their 50th released episode. Uh, and That's a lot of episodes. It's a lot of episodes. We have been tasked to do some recipes out of Nanny Og's cookbook, which interestingly enough was written and released right before uh fifth elephant interesting yeah uh it was released uh by Doubleday in 1999 and it's it's interesting actually doing some recipes from that because it's definitely it definitely feels as you're reading it much more of a joke book than a cookbook mm-hmm. so actually putting that into practice and like making some stuff is a very interesting project yeah um, you know, there are definitely some things that I sort of recognize from the year that I spent uh, over in the UK. I didn't do much cooking there. So when I saw Gas 6 7, I was like, huh. <laughs> and also, I think there's a lot of shorthand in here uh, that is familiar to British cooks, but perhaps not to those of us um, in America, even though I have watched more than my fair share of uh, Great British Baking Show. <laughs> yeah. On my part, I struggled with the, so I get gelatin in large tubs, mm-hmm. and my recipe said, I, well, at first I should probably say what recipe I did. I made strawberry wobblers, <laughs> um, and the recipe calls for two to three packets of gelatin. Mm. So I'm there, like, Googling how many grams in gelatin packets. Usually, and, like, two and a quarter teaspoons. Yeah, see, that's also not helpful. (laughs) Um, So, like, it was, like, ranging from, like, there are six grams in a gelatin packet to there are 10 grams in a gelatin packet to there are 12 grams in a gelatin packet. Mm, British gelatin packets. (laughs) Yeah. um, So I I, I found one that said sachet Mm -hmm. rather than packet, Mm -hmm. which is also what the book says. Mm -hmm. And that was 10 grams. Mm -hmm. So I put in 30 grams of gelatin and that was probably too much because (laughs) I'm pretty sure that if I'd thrown those things, they would have bounced. So it was less of a wobbler and more of a what? I should have come up with a better <laughs> joke here. Less of a wobbler and more of a jiggler. I don't know. Uh, well, I, I was gonna go with um, you know the the strawberry wobblers. You're you're meant to make them in champagne flutes to make a amusing shape, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I would say that the recipe maybe has you ideally make them a little bit on the like flaccid side. <laughs> 
Um, but mine were rock hard. So it was more like a like a like a nineteen eighties um, uh, body enhancement. I think that those those wobblers maybe should have uh, called the doctor after four hours. <laughs> well, in the shape that you made. Right. Yeah. So I did not have champagne flutes. So I made an alternate shape. I had martini glasses. Hmm. Thus my 1980s uh, Baywatch reference. Yes. Yes. Um, They made very amusing um, pink, pink uh, triangles. I attempted to get the get like some some single strawberries to like stick in the tip of the martini glass. Uh, that did not work because apparently strawberries float. Who knew? It was just sort of like a hidden strawberry surprise in (laughs) all of them. But they actually turned out pretty well. It was, um, they were like nicely like sweet, but not like overpoweringly sweet. They they had the nice like fresh strawberry flavor. Mm -hmm. I would definitely make them again. It's it's a pretty like simple, you know, gelatin dessert recipe. Mm -hmm. And martini martini glasses do work very well for molding them. Probably just a little bit easier to unmold, too. Yeah, just maybe put in less than 30 grams of gelatin. <laughs> what about your, you made figgins, right? I did. And, you know, we've we've seen those on the page as opposed to just sort of referenced in, in I guess it was Masquerade, where a lot of the Nanny Og joke recipes <laughs> came out. Yeah. So, yeah, I made figgins, uh, which uh, I was a little confused about how you would then go about toasting them because they seem just sort of basically like hand pies. Hmm. I had to make a couple modifications on the fly. So first of all, it calls for short crust dough, uh, which or short crust pastry, excuse me. So I just sort of assumed that was pie, like pate brisee, yeah. like pie dough. That's that's what the British baking show has taught me. Mm-hmm. So like I don't know if mine was more enriched than because it really just like laminated and I guess in my head I assumed they were. At least in in Discworld proper, I assume they were more like bun, like filled bun kind of things. Mm-hmm. I had to make a couple other modifications as well because I couldn't find figs, so I I used like fig jam, fig spread, and I couldn't find currants, so uh, I used barberries, Ooh, which uh, I have on hand because I I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Yotamadalengi. Uh, and I, I think it really worked well. Um, and also, I didn't have brandy, so I used bourbon. <laughs> uh, was it was this case of like a little a little bourbon in the bowl, a little bourbon in the cook? Yeah, <laughs> a little. <laughs> and then also, it called for a heaped teaspoon of mixed spice, which I just sort of had to guess at that. <laughs> so you know, I, I just sort of assumed there was basically like what we would call pumpkin pie spice here in the in the colonies. Yeah. But, you know, I tried to use a reasonable amount of each. Uh, but yeah, and then I actually, I had my, my wee hag uh, help me with a lot of the work, which was great. Um, my, oh, excellent. Yeah. Um, and um, I sent uh, Ben, I sent Ben some of the photos. And then, you know, we, so we went through the process. You soak the, uh, you soak the dried fruit in the bourbon um, and then fill it and, we had some fun crimping the dough and stuff like that. It was it was good fun, uh, and then we ate it. And she was a she she liked the dough better than the filling. So <laughs> I guess that says something about my pie crust. It says, it probably says they make good pie crust. Yeah, I'm not sure how you would toast it is the only thing. Yeah, because like I feel like with pie crust, I mean maybe you could rewarm it, but like I'm not sure how you would. 
then go about toasting it. I mean, I would think maybe you would like rewarm them over a fire. Mm. And that would be like toasting. Get the inside like nice and gooey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I dig it. They look tasty. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was it was good. I think I've eaten more of them than anybody else. Because, <laughs> you know, hand pies. Gotta love a good hand pie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I would definitely make them again. It would be fun to play with the fillings. There's some other recipes in here that look kind of good. And then there's a whole bunch of uh, flavor before and after. And that was kind of amusing to read as well. Yeah, yeah. The flavor for mine was that it uses champagne flutes because um, the the vessels that it really calls for are um, novelty-shaped. Um, also, I'd like to point out that the recipe calls for you to save some of the cream for decoration, mm-hmm. which is really cursed. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think that wraps it up from from us here on the East Coast. Uh, ben, Liz, congratulations on hitting 50 episodes. Uh, we're really proud of you. And uh, talk to you soon, I hope. Congratulations. Well, that was absolutely charming. Yes. And again, you know, it's so great to get an American perspective on this weird English style, not quite traditional cookbook. I, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the uh, difficulties of converting between different types of measurement and all of that kind of stuff. And it was nice to see an international cookbook that was not in American measurements for me. So I can imagine the frustration going back the other way. Also, like, it has a, you know, those things that you accept as normal because they've just been around you your whole life. Cause I was just like, yeah, mm. mixed spice. That, that makes sense that there's something called mixed <laughs> spice. Yeah. Um, but no, that makes sense. There's so many spices. It's ridiculous that, like, that contains what five very specific ones. And I'd absolutely be like, if I'd seen that for the first time, like, what spices am I mixing? Do I get to choose? Like, what proportions do they go in? Yeah. So it just seems yes. very strange that there is actually just a thing you buy at the supermarket called mixed spice and you know exactly what you're getting. That is actually very silly. And again, look, some really great innovation with the substitutions. I particularly was impressed, Anna, with your decision to use martini glasses to make mm. a different amusingly rude shape. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> and also the American-style figgins. I don't think I've ever heard of Barbaries before. I don't know what they are. I'm going to have to look those up. But I think the the bourbon was good. And I don't know that fig jam as an acronym is a thing in America. But as as soon as you said fig jam, Aaron, and I'm assuming you're listening to this, I thought of there's a famous song by a Brisbane based, I think, hip hop group here in Australia called Fig Jam. Uh, and fig jam stands for fuck I'm great. Just ask me, which is one of the greatest acronyms ever invented. And it's a great song. But anyway, it made me laugh. I was doing a bit of a sneaky, creepy, like, follow along on Twitter, watching this unfold, like, in real mm-hmm. life, like, while they were cooking this, and sort of getting little insights into it. So um, that was cool. Or uncool, yeah. depending on, you know, how you <laughs> view me sort of watching this from Twitter. Uh, no. Um, we should, and we should say, we'll try and share as many of the photos as we have of all these different amazing dishes um, on our website. You'll be able to find those in the show or episode notes for this episode. But also, uh, just a quick shout out that Figgins go all the way back, I think, to Guards Guards, I think is the one where it mentions someone being worried about being strung up by their Figgins or something. I think I think that's in Guards Guards. I, I will have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure. So yeah, it's nice to see some of the things that are not just mentioned, but kind of feature in dialogue or people are 
are talking about them as well as them just being in the narration of the novels. Um, it makes them feel a bit more real somehow. Please do check out the complete discography. You'll find us guesting on one of the episodes. I don't know that that should convince you. You've already heard us before. Mm. Uh, but they're up to, as of now, uh, in uh, December 2021, episode 24, discussing Carpe Jugulum or Jugulum. I still can't decide which way I prefer to say it. I think it's Jugulum because it's like jugular. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so they're past the halfway mark as well. Uh, I mean, well, I say that. Having done 50 episodes... Yeah. Well, what I mean is they'd be halfway if they were just doing the Discworld books, but they're not. They've also they've taken a couple of side trips to talk about other books entirely. So, yeah, I'm not sure how, quite how far through the journey they are, but they're on the way. I think they're going to make it. Uh, I think everyone's going to make it. I yeah. mean, it's it's a good goal. It's a nice mm. sort of meet. Long enough that it's a long-lived podcast, but not so long that you feel like you never make that many. And it's a nice journey. It is. Speaking of delightful journeys, we do have one more recipe to share and this is one that i was very excited about because it's me uh but it's not just me it's me and our previous guest anna arvenenen who you might remember from our episode about the first science of discworld book what you may not know is that anna and i live together and we decided to cook dwarf bread together Anna's a, a massive Tolkien nerd, so really appreciated the joke of um <laughs> of course the dwarves have their own kind of bread as well and yeah, we tried cooking it and let's let's listen to the result. We're making dwarf bread because we're going into battle. Yeah. We might need it. I mean it's dangerous. It's Christmas time. It you, is dangerous. You could meet any kind of hazards out there. There's elves around. Snow. <laughs> Gnomes. Quick note about this before we started. Uh, the recipe does call for wheat bran, not a lot of wheat bran, but I just couldn't get any. Only the shops that I looked, they only had oat bran. But after discussing this with people online, they seem to say this was a perfectly fine substitute. It'll just make the result a bit creamier. And we um, all know that we can trust the advice of online strangers. Well, they're not strangers. They're people that I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so we've made that substitution. Otherwise, we've got all the things that the recipe calls for. I've never made... Well, that's not true. I was going to say I've never made bread from scratch. I've sort of made... I've made one of those breads, which is more like a cake. I've made zucchini bread, which is kind of like banana bread, except with zucchinis. So it's kind of sweet. You it's, put sugar in it. It's really more of a cake than a bread. Yeah, it's more of a cake than a bread. And I, I fully copped to that, but it's called zucchini bread. So I've kind of baked that, and it's a little bit like bread, but it's not. But this is, this is like actual... Bread well, bread. You've made bread. I think it's interesting that there's no yeast in this recipe. Usually when I bake bread, it's with yeast. Mm. But instead, I think it's it's the, the bicarbonate soda and the... I don't know what cream of tartar is, but I think that's supposed to be the well, same it, sort of situation. Well, we have we have some Mackenzie's cream of tartar here. <laughs> famous famous um, baking ingredients brand. Uh, it says, cream of tartar is an acid that helps stabilise whipped egg whites and prevents sugar from crystallising in syrups. An essential ingredient when making meringues and pavlovas. Gives more volume and stiffer peaks to whipped egg whites. There you go. It doesn't say anything about using it in bread. And there's also no egg whites in this recipe. Maybe this dwarf <laughs> bread is more like a cake. Is there sugar in it? There's no sugar in it. Then it's not a cake. Is Can that I have the definition sugar? of a cake? I don't know what the definition of a cake is. I'm just saying. Oh, if there's well, no sugar in it, there's no, it's not a cake. This is like the famous case in the UK where there's a biscuit called Jaffa Cakes. When they changed the VAT rules in the UK, 
they wanted to exempt it from getting VAT, kind of like we don't have GST on like staple food here, but we do have on fancy food. Like if you go to a restaurant, you're paying GST. If you buy like fruit and vegetables, you're not. So hmm. yeah, they had a court case to argue about this because they're called Jaffa cakes. So they're like, well, they're cakes, which means they're not a staple. They're a luxury. And they're like, no, they're called Jaffa cakes, but they're actually biscuits, which means they're a staple, which means that they shouldn't have the tax. And they had to define the difference between a biscuit and a cake. And from memory, it was that when a biscuit goes stale, it gets soft. When a cake gets stale, it goes hard. Hmm. I don't, so I don't know if that... I might have that around the wrong way, but... I don't think this is going to get any softer. <laughs> well, that's the idea, right? It's supposed to, you're supposed to be able to take it into battle. But anyway, let's, um, let's do it. I mean, the first one's very simple. It's not, it's not a complicated recipe. It's like take all the dry ingredients and mix them together. So um, that's what we're going to do. We have got some food coloring, but the only black one I could get was a gel. Hopefully that'll work okay. It says bold color. I hope that means it's not too dark, but it's supposed to make it look a bit more like rock, I guess. Bold as a granite. Yeah. No, basalt is the black one. Uh, yeah. Gra- well, granite comes in different colors. Mm, yeah, it can be kind of gray. Anyway, let's, um, we're going to mix them up and we'll see how it goes. So you're a chemist and people sometimes say that baking is like chemistry. Do you think that's true uh yes that's it (laughs) that's it that's the tweet that's the tweet that's the tweet i mean yeah it is because you're in a sense it's not because it's not as controllable you're working with natural materials that are sometimes heterogeneous which just means that they're not same all the way through so it can be a little bit harder to control how something's going to turn out in baking than in chemistry but really the principles are kind of the same and it's it's organic chemistry as well so it's not your area really is it uh i wouldn't call this organic chemistry (laughs) (laughs) at all no really I'd call it baking. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, look, I'm being very frivolous here. Um, I should be very clear to say that I don't equate what we're doing with, with chemistry at all. But I mean, there's I mean, chemistry there's, happening. There's chemistry happening, absolutely. Okay, so we've got, we've got 250 grams of wholemeal flour. We've got 30 grams of not wheat bran, but oat bran, which hopefully will do the trick. We need 100 grams of poppy seeds. I'm going to measure out some salt. I think the poppy seeds is genius. It's going gonna, it's gonna to really make it look kind of grainy. I think it's a little bit odd that the measures are half a level teaspoon. What do you mean half a level teaspoon? I guess you level the teaspoon and then only put half of it in. I don't know. Like I don't it, think that's a very that precise a weird, measurement. No, I agree. That is a weird measurement. It's just a weird measurement. And given that they, you know, they joke in the introduction about some and a bit uh, being used in the original Nanny Og versions of the recipes. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's all the, oh, it's not all the dry. What are you putting in there? You've got the. Um, I've put in the salt as previously discussed. Yep. I've put in the cream of tartar yes and i'm just putting in bicarb soda this is leading me to wonder what it actually is like i mean it explains that it's an acid Mm. but what what is it made of like what it doesn't really matter because all acids kind of do the same thing and Mm. what i think is happening here is it, the packaging doesn't say what it's supposed to do in this recipe. It just no. says what it's usually used for. Yes. And what I think it's going to do is the cream of tartar is an acid. Bicarb soda is a base. 
So I think they're when we mix them together and get them all wet, they're going to get all frothy. And, and they're going to make gonna... some carbon dioxide and some water. So and this that's could be how like... it's going to rise so to might be new a bit heights. Like... <laughs> this could be a bit like soda bread. Is that is that how it's going to work? What's a soda bread? It's very popular in Ireland. You use slightly off milk to make it, at least in one version. Like yogurt? It's basically slightly off milk, right? Wow. <laughs> so we've got the dough ready. It actually it looks kind of like gravel. Yeah. Like a big ball of sticky gravel. I'm starting to get a little bit concerned that this is not going to be edible at the end. <laughs> Why? Um, it's starting to look less edible by the minute. Um, well, no, uh, it's going to be great. I'm excited about eating it. It does look a lot more like something you whack someone over the head with <laughs> in a war. Well, at the moment, because it's flat, it's not like you throw it like a discus. That's true. We could, we could probably sharpen the edge, cut someone's head off with it. Violent. Is that is this the right size is what I'm trying to ask. Uh, I haven't the faintest. Is that about is 25 it, centimetres? Yeah, but is that radius or diameter? Uh, it says... 23 centimetre flat disc. I assume that's going to be diameter, like okay. 23 centimetre radius flat disc would be enormous. Uh, well, that looks more like 30 now, though. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me what the mass is. I can probably estimate that pretty well. I'm oh, not I as see. good at length. Well, do you want to measure it? How, how precise do we want to be? I don't really mind. How flat do you want it? You take, uh, well, it says flat. It just says flat. This is pretty flat. Yeah, I suppose we don't want it too pizza-like because then I'm sure that it will probably be inedible. <laughs> Why are you so worried about it being inedible? <laughs> You're not convinced this recipe is going to work, clearly. No, I'm sure the recipe is going to work exactly as intended. I'm worried about the bits where it's not quite joined up but i, think I also okay. feel a bit like Where's we the... could have been using some utensils for doing this pounding we've just been hammering it with our fists well, like real dwarves would do well they use hammers apparently oh. but let's use a rolling pin and really squish no. it out a bit more i don't want to use a rolling pin this is the round world's way of doing things they have rolling pins in the disc world do they yeah well, I think that's probably about the right size. Yep. Three. We should bake it for 25 minutes. And then we're done. Yeah. Best one's still warm. All right, so it's in the oven. My fingers looked until I just washed them like I'd been digging around in the garden. So that, that seems legit. Yep. What's your prediction? What's it, how's it going to turn out? Well, my concern is it doesn't have a lot of moisture in it. Mm. And it has a lot of floury bits and we've beaten it quite flat, and my worry is that all of the moisture is going to evaporate quite quickly. It's supposed to be in there for 25 minutes, which is a pretty long time when you're baking something at 200 degrees Celsius. Usually when I'm baking cinnamon rolls or something, you only bake them for like 15 minutes, and they end up perfectly doughy. So my prediction is that it's going to end up quite crispy. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm worried I haven't kneaded it enough in the beginning, because it's already got some cracks in it just 
before it's even gone in. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if it's going to break up. The cracks are just the moisture when there's not moisture enough to. There's actually nothing in this recipe. So the cream of tartar I was talking about egg whites. That's often like the matrix that holds the whole thing together. Mm-hmm. There's actually nothing in this recipe like that. But you don't except put, for the water. Mm, but you don't put anything. You don't like usually use a binding agent like that in a in a bread. You use it for cakes and stuff. No, but often there's. I feel like there's often more moisture in than mm. this yeah i mean i, I did know. only use the amount of water that it said and it actually says you might not need to use all of the water and you also use yeast in bread so there's a lot of ends up being a lot of air inside bread whereas in this case there won't be i just well maybe there is i don't know i mean i yeah I, well i guess we'll find out we'll find yeah. out what happens yeah. um do you think it'll be edible I mean, isn't everything edible to a certain degree? (laughs) Well, rocks aren't normally edible. I mean, you can swallow them. You can't really eat them. All of those delicious minerals have got to come from somewhere. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure that there's a supplement for that. Look, I... bits of gravel. Yeah, I'm more convinced that it will be... It might not be delicious, but I I think it'll be edible. And I think it'll look the part. It already looks great. It looks like stone and gravel. Yeah. I mean, I like crisp bread. Don't get me wrong. I just... It's pretty thick for crisp bread, but not thick enough for bread bread. Hmm. Okay. It's come out of the oven. This is what it sounds like. It looks like an arid desert on a black planet. Or a bit of, uh, I mean, it looks, it doesn't look as dark now as it did in the oven, but it, it sort of does also look a bit like a slab of asphalt. And you can just sort of, I mean, it hasn't risen at all, which makes sense because there's no yeast or yeah. rising agent in there. Yeah. It's just a sort of slab of flat. <laughs> we, how, what, do we just, do we tear a bit off and eat it? Uh, I think that's probably a sensible choice, but also it is 200 degrees right now. Okay, we'll let it cool down a little bit. It says it's best eaten when it's still warm, but obviously, yes, you don't want to burn your mouth on it. So we'll leave it to cool a little bit and then we'll try it. All right, so it's dwarf bread tasting time. I'm not going to lie. It actually looks a lot like the dark rye bread that I grew up with in Finland. It's got a similar sort of dark colour and texture. And I think it's really hilarious that in this country you have to pile in a whole bunch of grains and black food colouring to achieve the same effect. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I also think it says something about how grim Finland is. <laughs> I mean, we, yes. I mean, we, we, you can get dark rye bread here. Uh, it doesn't look it's, like this, though. No, it, it's not the same. <laughs> you got to take it from me. The stuff that you get here is really nice and light and fluffy, and that's not the experience. No. <laughs> believe me. I believe you. You can do the honours. You take the first bit. I don't even have a hammer and a chisel. Well, try your hands. Try your bare hands. Put some dwarf strength into it. Bare hands. You play a druid in the D&D game. <laughs> I mean, that seems quite satisfying. It, honestly, it breaks the same way as the right. Is it, what is that? Is it flat like this? Yeah. Finnish rye bread. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, I mean, this is more of a black color. The dark rye bread is like a dark brown, but it's the same sort of thing. It's got the, it's mm. got the sort of hard texture on the outside, but I think it's going to be a little bit gooey on the inside, maybe. Okay, this could be good. I'm going to grab a bit as well. Oh, that's pretty good. This is, yeah, pretty much how the rye bread tastes. <laughs> 
What? It does. I mean, yes. Authentically, this is the sort of thing that you eat when you live in a place that gets no sunlight for long months of the year. <laughs> like, say, in a mine underground? A mine underground in an actual Scandinavian country. <laughs> you know, same, same, really. I kind of like it. I mean, this is not the kind of bread that you, you know, butter and make sandwiches at. It's good, though. You know, it would actually... It would be really nice as a sandwich. That's how we deal with... In my country. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you just put on... And this is why they have, you know, a lot of heart problems in that country. You just put on, like, a lot of butter and cheese. And maybe on some top, ham. or do you, like, split it open like a pit of bread or something? Yeah, you can split it open. And then you put on some butter and some cheese and some ham and cucumber and tomatoes. But... I think, and this is my other prediction, I don't think it's going to be as edible when it cools down. I think it's going to continue solidifying. Mm, yeah. But it looks the part. Mm. And it's actually, it's quite nice to eat when it's still warm. Mm. But you wouldn't eat it as a whole meal, I don't think. I'm talking with my mouth full, it's disgusting. <laughs> this is why you don't make a cooking podcast. Take a long time. I mean, I am making a cooking podcast <laughs> this month. It's Two of them. Learning experience. Um, I've enjoyed this. I think as a novelty experience to make and eat it. If this is fun. I'd recommend this. Like if you're a fan of Fantasy Dwarfs and Pratchett, get into it. Try some. It's a good, good accompaniment to cosplay, I reckon. But you'd have to bake it just before you were going to do it. Unless you were just going to use it as a prop. In which case, you probably want to cook it for a bit longer. Yeah. It'll just keep crisping up. Cook it a bit longer, and then you could lacquer it afterwards, so you could reuse it, and things wouldn't be able to eat it. And if you're a Finnish person in Australia... (laughs) I'm feeling homesick. I'm feeling homesick. (laughs) It's a good solution for that, too. Go get some quotation Mark's Bride Bread. It's good, honestly. I will want to try baking um, some of the other dwarven stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I keep eating it because I really like it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, dwarf bread, quite a success. Thank ten you. Out, 10 out of 10 would crunch again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Anna. <laughs> right, so based off that, does that seem like you guys will be eating this regularly in your household? <laughs> Well, I don't know about regularly. I think I think we'll definitely give it another go. I would like to try it with the actual wheat bran, which the recipe asks for, which we couldn't get. Because I think uh, it worked fine without it. And it it's great. It's this coarse sort of grainy stuff. But yeah, eating warm, it's quite good. And Anna really does really like it. And she had it for lunch today with some like salmon and, and stuff on it. So I love that. Yeah. That's great. I think we'll have another go. It's very flat. I was expecting it to rise a bit. But of course, you know, as I said, it makes sense that it didn't. But I feel you could have thrown it as a discus. It would have been okay. Could you cut it into the shape of a shuriken? <laughs> yes, uh, you you could, and you could sharpen the edges. I think I think it would be possible. Yeah, definitely. But um, not recommended. Do not try that at home. No, no, do not do that. Um, so thank you, Anna, for indulging my need to eat dwarf bread. I really want to bake the other dwarf things as well. I want to make the um, the drop scones and the dwarf cake and the Lanka mint cake. Actually, I think is possibly my favourite in the 
baking section reading it, but I wanted to do something a bit more traditional. And, and look, this is one of the other reasons I think we wanted to do this is that we kind of got to the end of the 50th episode and we were like, oh, we've all picked the non-iconic things. And there's still a few iconic Discworld foods that we haven't cooked. And I think, Liz, that just means we're probably going to want to do this again. I mean, also, it does speak to my completionist tendencies that I feel like we should just keep going with this. Yeah. Yeah, so watch out for this. We might we might make this a Hogswatch tradition. We can do this again next year. Mm. Um, we'll get some more more people involved. Maybe a few of these people back. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I should say we're not the first people to try and cook everything from the book. I did find a Tumblr post actually that had been updated with uh, examples of every recipe from Nanny Og's cookbook with varying degrees of success, plus some fan made recipes for other things. So if we run out of things in the cookbook, maybe we can raid those and try a few more. And I'll link to that in the episode notes. And if you have made one of the recipes, we'd love to hear about it and ideally see pictures as well because I cannot yes. get it, that image of um, that toffee rat on a stick out of my head. <laughs> and I would really like to add to that image with other things from this cookbook. So, Yeah, yeah. I will build up a nice collection. I think that'll be great. But that kind of brings us to the end, Liz. We should thank everyone who contributed to this episode so thank you very much uh ellie squire uh liam peeper to the anonymous supplier of the anonymous wow wow source investigator um i don't i mean were they wizard liz can you be a wizard and an assassin at the same time because i feel like that was the vibe i was getting but anyway um, yeah I, mean, I guess we'll never know like but we'll never um, know yeah uh but also thank you, Nadia Bailey. Thank you to Manning and Liz from the Weird Sisters podcast. Thank you to Joe and Francine from The Truth Shall Make You Fret. Thank you, Aaron and Anna from The Complete Discography. And thank you, Anna, who cooked dwarf bread with me in the kitchen. It's been a real ride. What a delight to have made 50 episodes. Thank you to you, Liz. I don't think I've said thank you to you on the podcast, but doing a monthly podcast is not a thing you should do on a whim, but we did. And uh, <laughs> we're still here 50 episodes later. I mean, more than 50. We've done a handful of uh, bonus episodes, too. And it's a delight every time. So I just want to publicly thank you for going on this journey with me. And I know I'm saying this and I didn't tell you I was going to. And I hope that's all right. It's just been so much fun. And I can't wait to keep going and to get to the end, which I don't know when that's going to be. It's a long time off. I am terrible when people say nice things to me because that was absolutely... Lovely. Thank you so much. And I'm sorry to be like my aunts fighting over who gets to pay the bill at the restaurant at the end of a meal. But I feel like actually I should be the one thanking you because of everything you do. Because I, I feel like I've said it before, but Ben does all of the editing, does so much like of the hard yards of making the episodes sound as great as they do. And you should see his notes. They are amazing. And also just, you know, I am not going to be able to sum up everything without doing a whole separate episode of how great Ben is. So um, thank you, Ben, for making it a joy to do and also for making it as strong as it is. Oh, thank you. Um, And thank you, of course, for listening at home, because as we say many times, there's no point in us doing this if there's nobody out there listening. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for telling your friends about the podcast if you do that. Thank you for sending in questions if you send in questions. And please do, as we're recording this, the next episode, the January one, is already recorded. So don't send us any questions about Wintersmith. You can send us questions about The Watch, the TV show, and you should because we want to answer them. 
because that's what we're going to do for our February 8th episode. So if you've seen the show or if you haven't, but you want to ask us questions before you attempt it, because I know a lot of people are a little bit on the fence about whether they want to watch it. Myself included. Please send those in. Yourself included. Yes. Well, I mean, I'm making you watch it. But do you want to ask me anything now before you watch it? Well, I'll have a think, but yeah, I will I will send through some questions. <laughs> send through some questions. Yes, you can send them to the email address, which is chat at pratchatpodcast.com, or you can send them to us via social media. We're at Pratchat Podcast on pretty much all the main social medias. Uh, and you can find us and all of the other podcasts featured here today in your podcast app or directory of choice. And if you do want to support any of the podcasts featured today, not just us, Please do look them up, follow them, uh, give them a rating or a review if you feel so inclined. Let them know how much you like them. You can do that on your favorite podcast directory. You can do it at podchaser.com, which is like an internet movie database, but for podcasts. You can support them in all kinds of ways. And in fact, I think all three of them do have Patreons, so you can go and subscribe to them just as you can subscribe to us. You know, making an indie podcast, it's a tough gig. You have to put in the time and the effort. And let's be honest, you don't really get paid properly for doing that. But having enough money to sustain it, make sure that the costs for it are not coming out of your pocket and a bit of extra money that means we can pay for things to do fun stuff. And no spoilers because we haven't worked out the details, but there's some fun stuff we're going to do next year. I'm excited about some of this stuff and we could not do it without your support. Um, And that includes bonus episodes like this, which kind of double our workload for the month or more. But We can do it. We can do it. And uh, it's fun. So thank you. So until next time, we hope that this episode has given you some, well, food for thought. (laughs) And please have yourself a merry little Ogswatch. You've been listening to Pratchat's Ogswatch Feast, a special bonus episode of Pratchat with Pratchatters Elizabeth Flux and Ben McKenzie. That's me. You'll find info on all our guests and their podcasts and projects in the episode notes. Pratchat is produced and edited by me, with music by David Ashton of Sample and Hold Studios. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pratchat Podcast, and listen to past episodes and support the production of new ones via pratchatpodcast.com. Join the conversation for this episode using the hashtag OgsWatch2021. Pratchat is brought to you by Splendid Chaps Productions. We make entertainment for your ears, like the Doctor Who podcast Splendid Chaps and time travel comedy series Night Terrors. To find out more, visit SplendidChaps.com.